everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know when you wake up kind of late and like call into something for work and you realize you haven't used your voice yet and you sound like really deep and groggy and you're like, wait, am I like crazy, sexy, cool? Or is it obvious that I just woke up and I'm a grown ass adult and it is 1030? <laughs> hard to say, hard to say. That's how I feel right now with my voice. But I am um, very lucky. I'm at my sister's. I've actually never been to her place because of the COVID of it all. And it's uh, it, it's cozy as hell. She decorates for fall. I counted 26 pumpkins. I think I might do a formal ranking of all the pumpkins in my sister's home. They, they each bring a very different energy and each is obviously more essential than the last. <laughs> and um, For the most part, it's charming as hell. You know, I think there's a difference between like spooky decor and fall decor. Kelly falls into the more it's fall y'all uh, persuasion, except there is a giant scarecrow outside her front door. And I'm like, Kelly, scarecrows like birds are scary. Just they're scary and they're fearless. Scarecrows are made to scare birds. What do you think they do to humans playing up to your home at night? It's terrifying. But other than that, it's pretty pleasant. I, I, I struggle with spooky decor because I just it's like celebrating and cartoonizing everything that would make like my home a living nightmare. If you want to, you know, assemble, lightly assemble a, a nice array of mixed texture, c- color and size gourds, by all means, do you do you, Janet. But if you're going to send me email forwards about like the cabal and like Bill Gates and the gang, like feasting off of children, yet you essentially worshiping the Sanderson sisters with your home goods decor, like need I remind you, all Winifred Sanderson does is go around town saying like, I smell children and like try to eat them. Like, on what planet do you want anything close to a bat in your home? I, I mean, I'm, if I if I saw, if I, if I see a spider web and or a spider in my home, worst thing that happened to me that day. If I see a bat in my home, worst thing that happened to me all month. If I see a decaying human bones in my home, I will pass out right then and there. Add me to your collection of decaying bones. Throw me in the yard next to your fake tombstone of Ichabod Crane. I just, it's like, it's like, it, these things are quite gross and scary and it's, I don't know. It's I'm the exception here. You're not weird if you decorate for Halloween. I get the spooky fun. Some people like horror movies. I don't. I just think for me, magic spells, witches, all these things. Like if I, I'm more, my vibe is more like Matilda telekinesis. You know, more subtle, more low key, less evil. Or like honestly, if I was going to hang my hat on a trio of related witches, I'd go with Zelda, Hilda, and Sabrina from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, a la TGIF, not the series, not the cartoon, not the Netflix reboot. In general, as a category of shows, I just I or, you know, any sort of media, I, I do tend to like things where a closet of some sort leads you into another land, like Narnia, in this case, the linen closet. I thought the other realm was charming. The witch's council was Penn and Teller. I don't think I realized that when I was a kid. Uh, Harvey Kinkle, her boyfriend, I mean, he was one of the hotter dudes of my childhood television programs. He was always so nice to Sabrina, and he was charming, but he had the, you know, the kind eyes and a knowing smile, like a Logan Huntsberger, but without the FU coffee cart money, which is unfortunate. And it's also unfortunate that he was low-key stupid. At one point, well, do you remember Libby, the popular girl? Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Lizzie McGuire both had like token popular girl bullies that were considerably less attractive than the nerd they were bullying. In Lizzie's case, it was this girl named Kate that was a lot less cute than Hilary Duff, even pre-veneers. And then in Sabrina, Libby was considerably less cute than Melissa Joan Hart. Yet these girls, like th- these bullies, ruled their lives. And at one point, Sabrina turns Libby into a pineapple, and Harvey's just like, "That's that's different." And it's like, Harvey, are you so stupid? Like, <laughs> do you see how fast she changes clothes? She looks in a mirror and points to herself. Nobody gets ready that quickly. 
for years, she would just do like spooky supernatural things around him. And he'd be like, what's going on, Sabrina? And she'd essentially just gaslight him and be like, you're crazy. What are you doing? You must be drinking or, or you're sleeping. Is this, is this a dream? And it's like, oh my God, we don't even, we, we can't, I can't even scratch the surface of the, the rampant gaslighting that exists among teen witches to hide their powers. And a teen witches utter rejection of their powers upon receiving them. When I was little, I was like, are you kidding me? If somebody came up to me tomorrow and was like, you have powers far beyond your knowledge. You can make anything happen for it is dangerous. Use with caution. I'd be like, say no more. I'd point my finger, get myself a butler's pantry. I'd, you know, point to my stomach at roughly three to four inches to my torso. I would snap my fingers and find myself inside of, I don't know, Panera bread. I, I love the idea of being anywhere I want at any given time. And I just, whatever. I guess the only other thing I'm talking about is like Teen Witch in Halloween Town. Teen Witch is Blake Lively's sister, Robin. Isn't that interesting? Uh, anyway, you guys, I just, you know, I, I respect Halloween decor. I just feel like if Janet down the street, you know, thinks a mask is impeding on her, you know, civil liberties, I just want her to know that the make-believe decaying human bones in graveyard in her front yard and the you know, cobweb on her front porch. She's making the UPS guy walk through so he can deliver more Amazon decorations. It's like, you don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to have to guess if that spider is real or not. The only time I like make-believe spiders is in one context, in one context alone, which you guys know, crack an egg on your head with the yolk run down. <laughs> spiders crawling up your back. Cool with that. Only time, only place. Um, anyway, you guys, putting out this episode a little earlier than usual. Today's my birthday. I'm going to take a few hours and do, I don't know what, but... I, uh, it was nice to start my morning my, when my sister brought me a pumpkin cold brew, which is as good as people say it is. And, uh, to get out my angst as it relates to spooky Halloween decor, I appreciate you being here. For those of you that are new, I'm Kate. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an author. I'm a podcast host, pop culture commentator. I live in Chicago today, I turned 33. I am just kind of a random person who started a podcast two and a half ish years ago who likes to do more analytical deep dives into pop culture and talk about aspects of the millennial experience I don't feel like are covered ad nauseum elsewhere. So yeah, if you're trying to get like a grasp on like what the hell is this, it's kind of the combination of those two like very analytic deep dives, like a free, the Free Britney movement, the Call Her Daddy drama. Um, I'll do deep dives into like TikTok, Bumble, the purity movement. I have episodes uh, about sororities and brides being a bridesmaid and like the funny stories involved with that. But I also will like verbally walk through a Marshalls or talk about, you know, my obsession with like early 2010s Chevron inspired millennial home decor. Uh, it's called Bar Cart Blanche or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I did one just about like weird dress codes to weddings and dress codes in like school when you get sent home for having shorts too short. And you were being like sexualized when you were 11 for essentially having disproportionate limbs because you couldn't find shorts that fit you. I love crowdsourcing stories about our experiences in our lives that I think matter if you look deeper. And if you go to my Instagram at be there in five, there's a guide for new listeners that'll kind of help you walk through what uh, what to listen to if you're new. Whenever there's a swap, there's often new listeners. So sorry for the housekeeping, but I'm glad you're here. And I'll, I, I, I very much hope that you stay. If you like short podcasts, this probably isn't the one for you. Um, if you like easily explainable ones, <laughs> probably not for you. My show is typically long. Uh, and it is not niche. Those two things are by design. I believe in range. I believe in depth. And I make the type of programming that I like to consume, which is to get, you know, be just be balls deep in somebody else's conversation while I'm doing an incredibly, de you know, tedious household chore. 
So anyway, just kind of some uh, housekeeping on that front. <laughs> so today's a really fun episode because we have Jackie Schimmel from the Bitch Bible. She's like an OG of podcasting. She's been podcasting for six years. She's predominantly solo. She's really, really funny. I've listened to her for a long time, and I know you guys have wanted us to swap for a long time. And she was so cool and so funny. And I struggle like li- podcasting with people like her or Heather McMahon or like Ashley Hazeltine, like people that, like that I love and think are just so funny. I just want to like sit there and enjoy them and laugh. And then I forget I'm, you know, ultimately driving a conversation. But when you forget your podcasting, that's the best case scenario, right? So we did a swap and I'm also on hers. I haven't listened yet. I hope I'm not too annoying. Uh, and I, I find my, for as much as I talk, you think I love the sound of my own voice. I find myself incredibly annoying. Don't get it twisted. Uh, but anyway, I, so Jackie and I talked for like, I don't know, probably about 50, 55 minutes. But she mentioned something in the episode that I just, I was obsessed with, which is that she was a greeter at Abercrombie. And as you know, from previous episodes where I talk about pervy Abercrombie shirts, but there was this such a, um, it, it's like, you know, when you were watching VH1 behind the music or I don't know, like each Hollywood story and they talk about people getting discovered in malls. I feel like we all just went to like the limited two in hopes of getting discovered. But in rare cases, you know, young mega hotties, they would get asked to work at Abercrombie. Like they, Abercrombie employees would straight in Hollister too, would straight up just like, lurk around looking for hot teens to be like can you stand at the door and just look pretty and do nothing else and it's like oh my god what a dream thank you god bless Uh, one time literally they told me that they weren't hiring and asked my friend behind me if she wanted to shop there (laughs) um it's uh anyway so i started to get like messages and dms when i posted a teaser of this episode of people being like oh my god i worked at hollister i worked at abercrombie i worked at buckle listen to like the uh, employee requirements and i was like oh these are funny so a bunch of people emailed me uh, with the subject line have you met jake which is something that a lot of people had to so the, hollister would make you say have you met jake or have you met aya i think when people would check out because that was the name of their cologne and perfume that just like looked like a human bust and uh it's just like it's what a dumb thing to say but also brilliant because it's like no god who's jake and then they super so cute with with sandalwood because you're effectively just maced by an eau de parfum you're forced to just buy jake to get the transaction over with and honestly these people are geniuses so later i'll read through some of the submissions for the weird retail employee handbooks uh they i think they're really funny but first we'll chat with jackie as you guys and I, you always ask me to warn you because i think a lot of you listen to my podcast with kids around which is interesting to me because it's not like i'm pollyanna but maybe this podcast is just more like mature than explicit uh so which but i only like i cut down on cussing just because my mom will call me um, and again 33 years old um but anyways people always just ask me to warn them so yes there is a mature conversation but just generally speaking i would never suggest you listen to my podcast around children but yeah jackie i mean her podcast is called the bitch bible she's a reverend she's funny she's unfiltered i had so much fun talking to her it's, you know, there, it, this is kind of a funny industry where people aren't always generous with their audiences and wanting to swap and collaborate. And like, I just love cool people that are supportive, non-competitive and just like do things that their audience asks for. And a lot of people have asked me to have her on and I guess vice versa, which is really cool. And yeah, so we'll get to the interview. And uh, afterward, we'll go through some of the employee handbooks of uh, mall retailers in the early 2000s. Have you met Jake? Have you met Jackie? I want to quickly thank one of our sponsors this week. 
Our first one is new. It is Mod Cloth. At Mod Cloth, they make getting dressed fun. They are back to being independently owned. They are all about perfect fits for everybody. They make a lot of uh, vintage inspired styles, unique mood boosting prints, and they look good, but more importantly, are designed to make you feel good. I took a video of myself in a pink suit and an Arby's last night. Don't ask. <laughs> I was wearing a snakeskin mask and a bunch of you asked me where I was from. That is Mod Cloth. They have like cute kitschy stuff. They have really classy, you know, classic vintage inspired clothing. But I also have this black t-shirt bodysuit I wear like every day. As I have my favorite new study rings that are each side of a quotation mark on each year. Uh, they, I really like their jewelry. And speaking of spooky Halloween decor, they actually have really cute Halloween inspired jewelry if that's your thing. But it's like, you know, your necklace is a looks like a statement necklace, but it's a low key cobweb that's gold plated. It's not, you know, it's not cheesy. Their stuff's pretty classic. I approve their Halloween decor. Uh, I, it's just a really fun site that you should browse because it's kind of this great mix of uh, modern, of vintage inspired, a little bit of like kitchen cute stuff and all around just like a really interesting curation of products that I think you will really enjoy. I think my RBG mug is from ModCloth actually. Anyway, this is a really good deal. You can get 20% off your purchase of $75 or more, including sale items. If you go to modcloth.com and enter code be there and five at checkout, just how the show is spelled, not the number five, F-I-V-E. Uh, this promo code cannot be combined with other offers. But again, if you go to modcloth.com and enter be there and five, you'll get 20% off your order of $75 or more, including sales. Without further ado, here is Jackie Schimmel. Right. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to have a, a very highly requested guest today, uh, Jackie Schimmel from the very popular Bitch Bible podcast. You probably also know her from Ease What the Fashion, from the the curated list of Amazon devices to <laughs> bother your spouse on Instagram. I mean, so many things. She's so funny. She's so talented. I've been I've wanted to have her on forever, and you guys have too. And I'm I'm pumped you're here. So welcome, Jackie. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful intro. <laughs> I know you love nothing more than, you know, people fawning over you blowing smoke. <laughs> it is my favorite. It gets you everywhere and nowhere at the same time. <laughs> well, like, it's funny because, I mean, you've been podcasting since before podcasting was like America's favorite pastime hobby that everyone has. Totally. Like, what, six, six years ago? Six years. Yeah. And like, that's so fascinating for me to think about because, yeah, I've listened to you for a long time and I have a hell of a time explaining to people what I do now. And I'm, I can't imagine how that was six years ago. It was hilarious because I talked about this recently. I had no idea what podcasting was. There was only like four at the time. And thank fucking God, because let me tell you, if I came into the gig now, it would not work out well for me. Like I would be fully canceled week one. Like there's no fucking way I'd have the sustainability to keep going. Um, but I made zero dollars for years. And because I'm so deeply delusional and also have a extremely limited skill set, there was nothing else that I was going to be able to do after a couple years of just verbally purging on a weekly basis. Like, what was I supposed to do? Go into a headhunter's office and be like, hey, I'd like a receptionist gig. So I was really <laughs> banking on it. I'm like, this shit better work out. So it did, but for years, I mean, I really thought I was nailing it, but there was only three podcasts and I was making zero dollars. So it's all pretty tragic. It's like you and Rogan. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm like, I'm number two on the iTunes charts. They're like, there's two podcasts, like in your one of them. So shut the fuck up. 
when like I'm sure you have the horror that I have of like whatever the hell is buried in my back catalog. And when Rogan sold his for a hundred million dollars, I'm like, no, who? Nobody would ever pay for what I talked about at the beginning. It's no. uh, do you have you ever like gone back and listened to some of your early stuff? It's it's humiliating. I am so mortified by so many things that I just refuse to listen back. Like I. It's so cringy and so mortifying, and I thought that I was <laughs> nailing it. <laughs> and I just wasn't even like, be- I had no idea what I was doing. So it's pretty, it's really disgraceful. So I try not to. No, it, I mean, truly the nature of what we both do. Well, A, we both are predominantly solo and speak into the abyss, which is just self-indulgent, period. Yes. Uh but that paired with like, yeah, I walked away from my early episodes and I was like, huh, like, am I like, am I a stand up comedian? Like, like am I wild. amazing or terrible? <laughs> right. And I remember you saying at one point you were like, yeah, I had like listener questions at the beginning that you would just like make up to oh. ask yourself the things you wanted to share. And I'm like, oh, I completely did that. I'm like, why are you so pretty? It's like, <laughs> it's like I don't know. I was just born this way. Stop it. You're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, no, the problem was that I kind of I was enabled by a production company. So they I was produced. I had like a producer, but I wasn't making any money. So I was kind of feeling like I was doing something when in actuality uh, I wasn't so I would have my producer Emu who god bless her enabler of all times she would go into different cubicles in the office and then we would do call-in shows and she would just you know try out her dialects and just do a bunch of different voices but it was just Emu the whole fucking show it was incredible (laughs) so embarrassing uh, I've always appreciated that you're also solo but is that by designer because like you're kind of you kind of joke that you can't get guests but like do you try no not really yeah. <laughs> um, <Me neither. laughs> if I'm being totally honest I I say that because it's convenient but at the end of the day um I used to do guests every single week that was my format at the beginning and a lot of times people think they're a lot more funny and a lot more interesting than they actually fucking are and I'm kind of speaking to myself when I say that out loud and I understand the irony of that but at least it's mine and I know the flow and I know what people like and I know what works and I know the tempo and sometimes it's just easier to bust it out yourself you know it really is and what's so amazing about Jackie's podcast she doesn't edit it like not a lick in so many of the huge podcasts like people don't realize they record three hours of audio cut it to one so it's like High point, high point, like punch, punch, punch. Yeah. And the fact that you can just reel off like an hour of of comedy uh, stream of consciousness is is actually quite a talent. It's wildly impressive. And I'm, I know you, I'm not trying to like over compliment you, but thank you. I just knowing how hard that is. Um, it's kind of I think that's kind of the beauty of it is because you're like, I can't I, I can't, uh, you know, control what's going to come out of my mouth. And it's just is it has to be like what it is. <laughs> Partially because I don't know how to edit, so I have to just press one button, like from the beginning to the end. That's 90% of it. The other 10% is that uh, I just think that it's the ultimate form of transparency, and I'm willing to deal with the repercussions of saying something super fucked up, knowing that, hey, there's no edits. This is how we roll. That's it, you know? Well, I mean... (laughs) The hyper curation of everything is nauseating and now anyway, but you um, you said I was catching up on your podcast. Oh, and I was actually quite excited because I thought you were a person 
that would despise TikTok. But you meant you said something like I wake up uh, and do like a you know deep forty five minute scroll, and you oh, said yeah. something. It makes me like hate myself in all the right ways or love. I don't know. I was like, yeah, it's kind of this uh, this beautiful paradox that I love, and it's like the most nauseating platform, but it's like a sunny part of the internet. And I'm curious on your take on uh, TikTok. Well, here's how I feel about TikTok. I fucking hate it. I will not participate in it as a jo- I'm not going to join in. I am not going to like put a bunch of outfits on and jump to the weird music. I'm not doing the dances. I'm not doing any of the sort. With that said, I do have a like a burner account on TikTok <laughs> and I kind of use it as a form of self-love. I wake up and I look at these people and I think Thank fucking God. Because sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, you are such a fucking sellout loser. But then I go on TikTok and the self-love overflows my body because I realize that I do have boundaries and I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, I mean, like you go on TikTok, you see the longest torsos the tiniest rib cages huge boobs and these people have you seen have you been on mama mia tiktok the girls like waving their arms in the sea pretending like they're no i haven't made it into that algorithm i'm on a um like on a dancing five things you need in your closet right now five things from trader joe's that are and i'm like shut the fuck up oh my god did you get the guacamole from trader joe's this is groundbreaking and by the way in 2021 i'm trying to get the word content taken out of the universe because every time I hear the word content, part of my soul dies because I think it's disgraceful, embarrassing, cringy. Like I, if I was at a lunch with my girlfriends and I was like, oh, it's just been so hard generating content during this quarantine, they would all never fucking speak to me again. (laughs) No one would speak. I wouldn't speak to myself again because it's so disgusting like what world are we living in i don't know why i went off on that tangent what were you talking about tiktok mama mia i don't fucking know i hate it (laughs) i agree once you get into it you hate it so much but then like you also kind of crave it and i agree that unlike instagram that thrives in self-promotion that kind of makes me be like oh yeah i'm not like as successful or whatever as these people well it's all all a lie by the way what it's all a lie anyway everyone on fucking instagram it's a highlights reel Right. And in in this, it's Instagram's a level of insufferability that I've almost capped out on. TikTok, mm-hmm. there's at least an earnest this earnestness there. And a lot of the people that do well on it are like truly not famous. They're just in their bedroom. And like the fact that somebody wakes up that's 16 is like <laughs> five things in my room at my parents' house that just make sense has three million views. I'm like, good for you. I mean That's beautiful. It's kind You're of a, a good person. Well, no, it's kind of one of those things where I think, I mean, you know, it's everything's such a pain in the ass. Make it and do anything. And like everything's so bureaucratic and awful. Yeah. And I, I like mediums that uh, give people a direct tie to fame and like cut out the middleman, like, you know, a sofa sure. company. It's, I think that's kind of the funny part of it. But I I don't know. I love, I guess, like the the change. Like there's just nothing to do right now. And I think that TikTok's been a joy. But I'm not going to lie. I did see you do the WAP dance. So I was thinking maybe you oh. had like you know, some TikTok dancing in you. No, I actually watched a YouTube tutorial that was 18 (laughs) minutes long. And I was going to try to... 18 minutes. 18 minutes. And I think I got like a PG version because I compared my choreography to some of like, you know, a Vanessa Hudgens type. Yes. And I think Mm -hmm. I was watching the wrong WAP tutorial. 
But I was really, I mean, I was sweating. I was into it. I wanted to learn. I thought it would be funny to like bust out in front of my husband. He did not find it entertaining at all. He's like, what are you doing? I don't get it. I'm like, okay, well, there goes two hours of my life. I'll never get back. You're like, it's content. Yeah, it's content, Andrew. Get with the program. Jesus. I also, I feel like TikTok's on the cusp of getting defiled because you know something's going downhill when every single person starts to go to hair by Chrissy. Who's that? (laughs) Do you know know who that is? Okay, okay. It's this hair extensions person in Arizona, in Gilbert, Arizona. Everyone, it started with the Bachelor contestants. They all fly there. They all get the same hair extensions. And these tiny women have like so much hair with like a loose wave, a straight end. And it's kind of this fascinating phenomenon. And this person does all these influencers hair. And I'm kind of like obsessed with why you'd fly to Arizona, like in a pandemic to get mediocre extensions. Hair by fucking Um, Chrissy. This is blowing my mind. I have no knowledge of this and I'm just eating it up. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, like, I'm sure she's a lovely person. You know, like Amanda Stanton. Yeah. All hair. (laughs) All hair. Yeah. That's Chrissy's work. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Nobody (laughs) needs that much hair. Yeah, that's got to weigh a bitch down. Oh, for sure. I I think the hair extensions and the um, the the like COVID lash extensions are tough. They get pretty spidery. Yeah, I don't fuck with any of that stuff. I'm not an extension lash, any of those things. I don't do the spray tans. None of it. No, it's it's. It's too, it's, it's way too much maintenance. I don't know. That's like a little bit sad. The youngsters like feel like they have to do that. I'm like, I'm so grateful for the purity of my youth where I just thought it was hot shit, you know, putting some sun in my hair and uh, a jean skirt and calling it a day. I love that. I think that an awkward stage is so beneficial to all human beings. And it makes me sad, especially when I see these young kids on TikToks that all look like Kaya Gerber. Like you are missing out on such a crucial uh, experience in your life. I had a very long, awkward stage. I had adhesive headgear just to like paint a picture for you. I don't even know what that, that is a level of orthodontia. I'm not even familiar. With. I had braces for like 84 years and I had the rubber band and the spacers and I was allergic to the cement, uh, with the brackets. So I had inflamed gums that were just constantly bleeding. Like 24 <laughs> 7. It was disgusting. You couldn't even see tooth for real. Just like metal and gum. So that was really sexy. And then the adhesive headgear, it would, it would get on my forehead and then also the, the chin. It was, it was hot. a literal adhesive, like a 3M strip. Basically, like double stick tape. That is, I mean, that's character building at its <laughs> finest. And I thought I was a regular Kate Moss. I had no idea. (laughs) I thought it was funny. I like fully leaned into it. So I'd wear it around. I'd take pictures in it. I, you know, was so blissfully unaware. Do you remember? I don't know if you ever shopped at Abercrombie, but like the pervy statements that were on these shirts. Oh, yeah. And um, do you remember that? Well, not only do I remember it, um, my job in high school was the greeter when I was a junior in high school. After I got my fucking brackets off and the headgear came away, I stood at the front of Abercrombie. This was my only job. They wouldn't let me work a cash register, no folding, nothing. And I just go, hey, what's up? You weren't allowed to say, how are you? You weren't. It had to be, hey, what's up? Is that amazing? Wait, wait, back up. Okay, if you were the greeter and the greeter alone, you were the Giselle of the Galleria. I mean, like, they hired you for your looks. 
Well, um, I got cuter later in high school, but I wouldn't, you know, not a stunner, but like I had a, I had a boyish, a boyish charm. <laughs> they do love an androgynous vibe. I was androgynous looking. Yeah. <laughs> the Well, it's funny because the lore of Abercrombie, I mean, it's like the subway of clothing stores, the smell wafts for, for miles, but oh, fierce. It, like so many people said they got approached in Abercrombie being like, you should model for us. And what that meant is you should work the cash register. People would be overly flattered to get minimum wage working at Abercrombie, but they wouldn't ask like non-hot people to work there. And, you you know, it's like your wet seal stockroom vibe or like your Abercrombie front lines. And I just think about uh, shirts that said stuff like Hustler 69. It's like to I was 11. <laughs> By the way, am I like, I think it was... Maybe fourth grade, I wore a T-shirt that said hottie for, like, my yearbook photo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead serious. I had a shirt that said hottie in rhinestones, and it was my favorite shirt, and I wore it all the time. You just, like, sit down at the Olin Mills. (laughs) You're, like, calling the spade a spade. (laughs) I've arrived. Exactly. Seven and sexy bitches. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still hung up on that you worked at Abercrombie. I, like, love them all. But you're from L.A., so was this at, like, the Grove? Oh, no. I'm, like, from the suburbs of L.A., so this was at the uh, Thousand Oaks Mall, which is a national tragedy. <laughs> it's the worst mall in America. It's disgusting. It's crusty. That's why I got hired to work the door, because it's pretty dismal in there. It's slim pickings, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's a small denominator. <laughs> What 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 makes a shitty mall to you? I'm curious. Well, imagine a mall that like just got a Zara in Los Angeles. Oh Lord, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. put that together. Mm. Oh yeah, that's dark. And like your friend that went to eat at Sabaro, and like that's dark. So I just dark. think there's so many funny social tier e type things that you can gauge from somebody's mall behavior. Yeah, that's true. Or if you're like, I'm not a mall person. I don't really fucks with the mall because maybe I'm triggered by the mall because I spent so much time there as a child and just what that looked like and then throughout my youth and into like my early 20s when I would like have to go hit up a Nordstrom and like am I going to take it back after I wear these you know BP earrings or not like that it's all (laughs) makes me upset well yeah it's like it's you know when when something you love becomes work, it becomes a drag. I can't walk into a California pizza kitchen from working there in high school. Oh, amazing. I love I a little love CPK. That place. One of the, speaking of influencers, the people you talk about a lot is um, Julianne Huff, you know, Who? of grinding with I'm just grinding with her brother fame. My mm-hmm. husband can, gets so upset watching them grind together. Um, yes. And you, you introduced me to this thing called Kinergy. Can you explain what it is? It's like, Honestly, I, I'm concerned for this woman, you know, bless her heart if she has mental health things going on. But I honestly think she's just more into like new agey stuff. Yeah, that isn't, it's like, not totally that. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not a doctor, but I, it's really not that. I think, um, well, I don't really know what Kinergy is, which is kind of the problem of it all. I experienced it firsthand. I went to the Oprah 2020 vision tour. <laughs> like a field reporter. I love that. By the way, I saw her backstage, and when I tell you that I nearly shat myself, I was sweating like full rosacea rash because we've we've had um, words. She has slid into oh, my seriously? DMs. Yeah. Yes. Because I posted that video. I posted a video of her um, seemingly 
having an exorcism and it went all over the fucking place. So she slid into my DMs and said, you know, I know it looks crazy, but if you have an open mind, like energy healing is a real thing. And I'm like, why the fuck is Julianne Huff talking to me right now? I mean, my butthole, like it just collapsed. So I went and I experienced Kinergy firsthand. I was laughing so uncontrollably. And I was in like, I was sitting next to fucking Stedman. I was right up in it. Okay. Like actually Stedman? I was sitting. Yes. Oh, I oh, mean, God. It was what a, a mystery, man. What that's That in and of itself is fascinating. It was, I mean, the whole thing was so overwhelming. It was like sensory overload. But she basically gets on the stage in a polyblend genie pant and starts gyrating and talking about the elements of the earth and you're throwing the air and then you're breathing in all the goodness and your feet are roots going into the ground and you're a tree and now you're fire and you're a bird and you're the wind and you're the air and i'm like what the fuck you're like relax captain planet <laughs> like what are you talking about i thought i i felt like i was on psychedelics Start to finish. And I didn't even know what happened. Were the people around you earnestly watching and engaging? It was, you know, there was like a hilarious group of women behind me that were like, what the fuck? And we were all crying, laughing together. And then there were some people that, you know, traveled to get there. And they probably like, probably caravaned for 46 hours to attend this conference. And they were eating everything up. Um... I would say it's pretty mixed there. She would go around and then put her hand on people's um, heart like Tammy Faye Baker. And then they would just start crying together. <laughs> like, honestly, like, I find doing? this horrifying. Like, this is like a one of those creepy pseudo gurus that like Julianne Huff of all people for people to follow this movement. And like for somebody to be that grounded and in tune with their spiritual existence. Like, like shut up. Wouldn't, wouldn't she not want to DM you? Like, I feel like people like that should be like. You know, I, I just think it's it's almost more threatening to me when I say something about somebody and they reach out, which has happened many times, and they're like, love and light. And I'm like, fuck off. That's worse. Totally. Tell me to go fuck myself and let's have a real dialogue. Like, don't do right. that. Wrong girl. Why? Go didn't journal. Didn't you have that? Ex- didn't like something happen with like Olivia Culpo at one point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> I forgot about that. I did a montage of her and I thought it was so funny. I was like in London. It was like 3 a.m. Couldn't go to sleep. She was on a a Parisian adventure and all she was doing was posing with food all over Paris. And I'm not talking like a fucking macaron in a glass of champagne. I am talking she was posing with this one sandwich. I know Paris geography very well, so I can imagine the lengths that she traveled with this sandwich she's by the river she's at the eiffel tower with this big ass fucking sandwich she's at the louvre she's down in uh the latin quarter like i'm like what eat the sandwich like why are you posing with the baguette and the bread and the cheese and the pasta and the wine i need to see some motherfucking chewing a pizza it's like you're not eating any of that a box of donuts so then i started getting on a real bender And just looking at the copious amounts of photos that she takes with food that is untouched. And it was Mm. just kind of like my Barbara Walters moment where I just did a Mm -hmm. slideshow. Didn't say anything crazy. Just a slideshow of her posing with food. Like, 
a, like aggressive food. You know, like I love a donut. I don't eat donuts because I can't, because I love them. I'm certainly not going to pose with a fucking box of Krispy Kremes because I don't eat Krispy Kremes because they have too much sugar in them and baby likes the salt. So I pick and choose. And she messaged me saying um, something like, wow, you're so pathetic. You must be so miserable. Get a life. You should support like something so nuts. And I was like, I loved it. I was like, listen, you're way hotter than I am. You're more successful. You're so much prettier. Like, what the fuck do you care what I say? It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, it's kind of funny. You know, really funny. And it's innocuous. It's it's talking about her sandwich. (laughs) Like, Like, why are you being so defensive? If someone did that to me, I'd be like, that's it's fair or if she slid in it was just like you're a fucking bitch i'd be like you're right do you want to get drinks sometime like it's just not of all the things that you can say about someone i try and this probably is sounds moronic but i try not to go low like i'm not going to talk about someone's looks i'm not going to talk about like someone's any of that shit but if you're posing with a pizza and then donuts and then hot dogs and then this, that, the other thing. And granted, I just posted a photo of myself eating a hot dog, but that was my yearly treat. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fair game. It is fair. Yeah. I mean, like of all the things you could say about me, if somebody was like, I know that cold cut would have been sweaty or if you scaled Montmartre, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I didn't need it. It's an old sandwich. Like yeah. that's not that offensive. But also what you're kind of saying, too, is like, I think, oh, I think she was, she's obviously, she's objectively beautiful. There's no, there's no argument. And Gorgeous. It's like, she uses donuts, I almost think, to be relatable, like to d- detract from her jawline. Like, yes. I think that without food, it, people are just like, I, I don't relate to your life. But if she has a sandwich, I guess maybe she thinks she's one of the girls, which is so <laughs> sad and stupid. And listen, I... To a degree, no, I don't actually understand. I think it's absolutely crazy. I mean, I have to work out every day because I really do love to eat. And I wish I didn't have to because I hate working out. But I do it so I can continue chewing and drinking. And it's really that simple. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it's important to be honest about it because that's that's the problem is like, Women supporting women isn't women blindly supporting females in anything they do ever, especially not if it's like problematic to other women. Women supporting women is like calling out people on your word, fraudulent behavior, on excessive curation, on talking unhealthily about like food and stuff. It's just that's the stuff that like the only time you'd ever say you should support other women are people that have literally no other defense. (laughs) I have never used those words. In my entire life. And the day that I do, please get on a plane and punch me in the fucking face because it's simply non-applicable to my, like, I just, I will never say that. Yeah, it's like Ramona, like when she was exacerbated and like, you should support other women. People like her say that, who are so insufferable. Yeah. That they, they have nothing else. And I, yeah, I've definitely experienced that too with people being like, what did I ever do to you? I'm like, what? you're in the public domain. I feel like you're fair game. <laughs> totally. And also there's just levels. Like it's not that serious, right. you know? Um, I, I like love to look up a um, celebrity Venmo 
And oh. we were coming on. I was like, who does Jackie like love that I should look up? I didn't find anything that juicy, but I did find it funny because I did find Beverly Mitchell. <gasps> and um, she, oh the only thing she's done on Venmo are pay people for like her fantasy football. Uh, oh, that's donations. so Beverly. Is that classic Bev? I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting to see that. Olivia Culpo's was like giving her siblings money, which is nice. Um, and oh, then and she Julianne made that public. Interesting. Huff's Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Julianne Huffs was like ramen. I'm like, you're paying some. I don't know. I'm fascinated by people that are super wealthy, like nickel and diming one another. I just think it's an interesting concept of like. Oh, I love that uh, so much. Yeah, it's interesting, and a lot of people like. I don't get why people don't click private. I think it's so odd. It's wild. Um, it's especially because people try to like make inside jokes with emojis, and Ugh. it's like. Or like even Olivia had one that was like for the hookers or something. And I'm like, You're, I mean, you should maybe tread lightly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Perhaps. That's so funny. I never even thought about looking into celebrity Venmo transactions because pre-TikTok, my morning routine was to go through uh, Venmo and look at public transactions because I'm like, oh, my God, what a bunch of fucking losers. Like people you went to high school with, ex-boyfriends, like charging their new girlfriends for for coffee and i'm like oh my god the lack People of self-awareness in relationships charging each other on venmo i i get it we're equality like it's fine i i just think we need to have a cutoff for what's nominal let me tell you something if my husband hit me up for a fucking venmo request i'd hit him up for a divorce asap <laughs> like that i would i would die i would kill him i would tell everybody i'd get a billboard on sunset I would post it like it would be game fucking over. No, no, not for me. I feel like your um your husband is uh he's such a funny like character in your podcast. Like, he's not on your podcast, but like oh. I, you mine mine would never like I it's like I say I wish he would, but like also no. I kind of like him not being a part of it. Totally. If Andrew was jonesing to like get a cameo on my platforms i would be so repulsed he's so uh he doesn't know probably even what tiktok is like he's so uninvolved in everything in this universe he doesn't listen to my podcast he doesn't have instagram he doesn't have any of the things and i find it wildly wildly attractive a hundred percent me too and people are always like your husband doesn't listen to your no thank god because What's also kind of comical is that if, like, as far as he knows, all of this is made up. Like, he doesn't know <laughs> what I talk about, who's listening. Like, yeah. it just doesn't matter. And you're right. The thirst, uh, the thirst of it all is unattractive. And an Instagram husband, oh. you know, influencers, if you all, I'm like, you can't compare yourselves to them because most, I think most dudes get annoyed if you ask for two pics, one with and with, one without the flash. But if, like, your husband's willing to take 150 photos of you on a DSLR daily, like, yeah, you're going to soar. And right. most people don't have that luxury. <laughs> I mean, I ask Andrew to take maybe a total of three photos of me a year, and they're all bad. And I like the juxtaposition. I find it to be very sobering, yeah. for lack of better words. Like, I just, I love that he doesn't know anything. And I like that we go out to dinner and I'm not fucking plating my food to take a photo like i would die if i became that person and i've been to meals with people who do that and i look over at my husband and to see his face try to register what's happening 
is very funny to witness. There, there is nothing tougher than an aerial shot of a plated dish that you're just letting get cold. It's, it's, it, it really is like a Black Mirror meta moment, which bring actually, I wanted to ask you about this, and I know this is kind of like an annoying topic, but I, no. I'm obsessed with Thomas Keller. Yes. Did you like, how was the French Laundry? Because I saw you went there on Instagram, and two, did you take plate photos of like 18 courses? Because I can't decide what I would do in that situation because it's like once in a lifetime vibes. Here's the thing. So... I'm obsessed with Thomas Keller. I took his master class. Like, I'm all aboard. He came over to our table. He was talking with us. Wait, he was there? Oh, he was there. He gave us a tour of the kitchen. We got to go into his private (laughs) wine cellar. I was so shit-faced by the end of the evening because we did the sommelier pairing, too. Oh, the pairing, yes. So I was... I was drunk. I was ready. I was cracking jokes in the kitchen. He was not amused at all. Um, And I did have that moment where I'm like, okay, this is a once in a lifetime experience. This is incredible. We're here. Thomas Keller's at the table. Do I take a photo of all of this? And you know what? I did. I'm honestly proud of you. And I think you should have done that. I think it was the right decision. I did. Otherwise, you forget there's too many damn courses. I, there, I have about 37 pictures of all of the things that I ate. I did not post them on the internet because that would be just disgraceful. But I did. And they're in a private folder in the cloud. Just, yeah, just to look at at night when you get lonely. It's, yes. Uh, that, I, 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 that's crazy that he was there. I would have lost my shit. I don't, like, do you know who Grant Aikett says of Alinea in Chicago? Uh-uh. Alinea is just like a, like the French laundry of Chicago and it's really expensive. And um, that he the chef was there who trained with Thomas Keller when I was there. And I like lo- I lost my mind. And it's kind of a funny thing over a chef. Mm-hmm. It's like a Jonas brother. But I get what you mean. And that like I might have sampled my stand up too, just to like catch the vibe. <laughs> you know what I said to him when we got in the kitchen? I was like, do you guys take a 30 year old interns here? I'm not a great <laughs> team player, but I chop like a motherfucker. <laughs> And he just Just, looked at me and it was like crickets. Nobody laughed. Then my friend Julian comes in and goes, hey, Tom, what's our group's vibe like? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tom. No. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you must get like a lot of people that come back here. Like on a scale of one to ten, like what's our overall vibe? Like suck or like really fucking cool? (laughs) And it was just a wrap. It was like, check, please. Gotta go. Get these fucking hoodlums out of here immediately. He's like, it's the the flexing of the knife skills for me. (laughs) Chopped like a motherfucker, Thomas Keller. Kill me. Sentences you never thought you'd say. For real. One of the things, too, that I find like so... I, in listening to your podcast over the years, like, I I actually think podcasts are like quite important in terms of like, it's kind of an... intimate medium you're in people's ears they pick up on what you say how you talk whatever and i think a lot of podcasts like yeah you listen for your similar interests but a lot of times too you're entertained by people that have personality traits that you don't or whatever and what i love about your podcast is like you well it's called the bitch bible right i mean like you embrace bitchiness in terms of just like the importance of being straightforward in terms of i am who i am and it's you almost like take ownership of the word and I'm from the South and we're like very bless your heart bitchy. Yeah. And it's this like level of passive aggression that I'm trying to like unlearn as I go through life. Yeah. And I've always enjoyed 
I don't know. I think you almost like learn from the way other people talk and talk about themselves and speak about themselves confidently. Like, have you all like have you been like that your entire life? Yes. And let me That's tell amazing. you. Well, it wasn't so amazing when I was younger because I found myself. I'm uh, I don't know if I have like some type of chip missing in my head, but I'm very um like a logistical person and I don't have many shades of gray. If you ask me a question, it's a yes or it's a no. I don't brew on things like I'm it's not lovely by any (laughs) means, but it is just how I'm wired. And I've always, always, always been like that. When I was three years old, I went to the doctor, Dr. Berkman, my pediatrician, and he goes, how do you feel? I had a fever and like an earache. And I said, Dr. Berkman, I feel like shit. Like, swear to God. When you were three years old. I was three years old. And they talked about it for my whole life. Like, they still, I saw him at a Gelson's recently. And he's like, hey. Like, they remember me because I was the three-year-old that said I felt like shit. So it's not always. watching the real world? Like, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck. I was watching, like, Melrose Place or something. I don't know. (laughs) Ridiculous. But. You know, when I was younger, it was definitely harder to navigate being in high school with, you know, girls and estrogen. And I just if you ask me a question, I just say what I think all the time. And I never thought that was a bad thing. I used to get, you know, my sister, my mom, that parents were like, you have to be nice. And I'm like, what the fuck is nice? Like and I, I it always triggered me as a kid. Uh, to watch people not being themselves. One of my best friends, mm. Brianna, I've known her since I was seven years old. She is so kind and gentle. And I watched her. I remember being in second grade and having girls be so mean to her. And I, the way we became friends is I literally pulled her aside in the bathroom. And I was like, you need to stop being so nice. And we talk about it all the time because I, it just pained me to watch people pussyfoot about what they want. And even now, I hate that women or and men, humans in general, I find it to be like so counterproductive that we have to put ourselves down to be likable. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand the psychology behind that because in essence, what I think is kind, I hate the word nice because I just don't think it's a characteristic. I really think it's a behavior. Th- that doesn't mean anything because essentially the kindest thing you can be is transparent and honest. And if the worst, it, it's all out there then. You know what I mean? And it's just such an easier way to be in my head. It's like the only way that I know how to operate at any given time. So it's not lovely. It's not like lots of social graces, but it's <laughs> when you find people that respond to it, it works. Well, and I think that's like A, why you, your podcast is successful. And B, I think it's important that a voice like you is out there because I think that you're kind of a product of your reference group. Most people grow up in pretty homogenous environments. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for people to hear people speak about themselves confidently, directly, in a more straightforward way, especially when you're around people that are constantly making themselves smaller, dumbing themselves down. That's so interesting what in like philosophical what you said about nice, because you're right, it's a behavior. And if you say somebody's nice, nice, it's about like that's not an attainable. If you're yeah. top three adjectives, if one of them is nice, 
You need to reassess everything in your life because that's a behavior. It's not a characteristic. Don't you want to be smart or funny or direct or honest, like nice? Fuck nice. Right. Well, and yeah, the nice is how you receive it. Nice isn't like what it is because it's not usually. A (laughs) hundred percent. It makes me think of um, that insufferable Meghan Markle interview. And I like Meghan Markle, but like when she first got engaged to Prince Harry, they did that interview. And she said this the worst thing I've ever heard, which is um, that when her friend set her and Harry up, she knew nothing about him. Oh, my uh, God. Because she's American and doesn't know anything about the royal family. And her first question was, well, is he nice? And I'm like, that was not your first question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. I didn't see that interview. I'm going to watch that it's later. So it's uh, yeah oh yeah you'll you'll i mean i love a cringe as well and you'll thoroughly enjoy it i mean you're marrying prince harry and your first question is is he nice it's like no is he like i I mean is he rich is where would i live like how is that like naked situation in vegas going down my first question would be what did he do with the nazi costume that he wore on halloween and how did we all glaze over that so quickly wow 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 we really did as a society glaze over that that was bad that's like, yeah, it's bad. That's so bad. I know. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm like shook by this. That, he had like an armband. Oh, yeah, with a swastika. That's but he's just, so nice. He's so nice. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> um, okay, the other thing that I think is funny, too, is that, so I love like chatting about like, um, well, as I mentioned, I miss a retail store. And if I remember mm. correctly, at least like a long time ago, you, so like, I, I love a Marshalls, and I know it's not popular. It has the stickier of the skincare sections, but it's yes. good. You, on your podcast, talked about you had, like, an in at a TJ Maxx that would, like, save you the good stuff. Like, yeah. the decent inventory. And, like, that was so – it's kind of a brilliant strategy. Can you walk people through your TJ Maxx strategy? Yes. Well, unfortunately, St. Clair is not there anymore. He's moved no. on, which is very upsetting because I fucking love that guy. And his first name is St. Clair. His name is St. Clair, yeah. First that's like name. such a great character. I mean, like, yeah, that's perfect for what that is. Like, you're teaching And he was a saint. Now. He is a saint, actually. Um, <laughs> so he worked there, and I used to pop in. Listen, I love a home goods TJ Maxx. Like, I have found more recently, I'm not even buying anything there, really. But I like the anonymity. I like the fluorescent lighting. I mm. like the crusty carts, not Corona times, but pre-COVID. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I like the sense of community. <laughs> <laughs> I like the dust bunnies <laughs> in the corner of each dressing like room. Like the ugly, disgraceful candles. And like, you know, once in a while, you, you hit a gold mine. But, you know, a few years ago, St. Clair, when he worked there, they would get in some really, really good like some good finds you know they had the runway section so they would get like bags and they would get fucking shoes like designer stuff so he would let me know when a shipment came in and we would do like a little talk through and I'd be like you fucking hold that shit in the back and then I would monitor it on a weekly basis so I would wait for it to get to the triple sticker zone so that I could (laughs) afford it because you know once it gets to that yellow sticker it's basically free it's trash yeah (laughs) But they start, you know, with the designer stuff, they mark it down like $50 and then people get all excited and they think they're getting a good deal, but they're not. So long game strategy, you just wait it out and then you wait for that yellow sticker to come on and you're fucking prime for the picking. 
I think it honestly it's brilliant because at, at residual inventory stores it's a it's a timing game oh, for when yeah. they stock. And I the highest end bag I maybe ever found at a Marshalls is like Anne Klein, you know. Oh, you're going like to Dooney the wrong, and Burke on a good day. Marshalls, you gotta come on over to this TJ Maxx <laughs> down the street. It is. I mean, there was like a a gown that Halle Berry wore to the fucking Oscars at the TJ Maxx. It was like a Valentino That's... gown. <laughs> okay, yeah, that uh, that must be LA a TJ Maxx Home Goods yeah. Marshalls because never. I mean, you know what's like the uh, like I feel like you can get like a classic Junior's brand like a Paris Blues, but I can't really <laughs> find a Valentino. So I've I think I was maybe fast like Sinclair too. I was like I, I was. Kind of convinced for a while there was a Sinclair at every store gatekeeping for their most elite because I was getting such shitty stuff from there. No, no. I think that he was just special, but I could hook you up. <laughs> I'll hook you up. I don't know. Anymore, like, I don't even know if I would, like, thrive or go into those stores. That's like, the sense of beauty that kills me. <laughs> it's so true. Um, Everyone's just a little, you know, we're all in the same playing field. We're all just looking for that next discount pumpkin spice candle. And it's just feels like home. We really are. Well, I see. I keep seeing. I live close to Home Goods, and I see, keep seeing people uncapping candles and sniffing them with their masks on. I'm like, if you can smell that, your mask does not work. Hundred percent. Hundred. Not supposed to have air <laughs> circulating outward, but it's a different world we live in. Um, For real. So I always ask my guests like different deep dive topics we've done. Um, I'm curious, like what I've, I've done, like deep dives where listeners submit stories about being a bridesmaid, and I just like find a lot of comedy in the concept like it's just hazing like a lot of the, half the stuff's insufferable the early call times the floral robes oh it's, yeah it's a whole thing and but at the same time we all do it and i don't i obviously weddings aren't happening right happening right now but like are how do you i mean obviously you love your friends and you're grateful but oh, when yeah. like somebody asks you to be a bridesmaid like like how do you feel about it <laughs> well i was kind of the first one of my girlfriends to get uh married And I think I set the tone for like the bridesmaid kind of vibe because I was very surprisingly like a wildly relaxed bride. Like I didn't care what they fucking wore. I didn't care about their hair. My bridesmaid, one of them fucked the rabbi and stole flowers from my centerpiece for her up to. So that's what I was dealing with. (laughs) And that's a true story. Fucked the rabbi in the room that I was paying for. For him to stay in, he lost our ma- uh, marriage license. Rabbis have a lot more flexibility than priests. Oh God. yeah, oh yeah. That is, that is. I can't. There's a photo to <laughs> to confirm this. We have a we have a photo of them dry humping on the dance floor. It's unbelievable. I have it framed in the house. Um, it's actually framed right there. I'm looking at it Shut right up. now. <laughs> that's amazing. That is the rabbi, and that's uh, Ruth with her legs oh, my. wrapped They're around like him. Full dirty dance, like Patrick Swayze, like dance. Yeah. So just take that with you on your journey. Um, God bless the photographer for capturing such a joyful moment. Just in the right in the right moment. I know it's unbelievable. So uh, when I was just asked to be a bridesmaid by actually her. And um, she's been pretty lax so far. I, you know, there is a potential bachelorette party that I've kind of already gotten some bullet points about. She wants to see mm. J-Lo live. She wants to go to Vegas. There has to be strippers. Mm-hmm. We have to stay at a nice hotel. 
Uh, you know, I'm going to continue my level of transparency into this next bridesmaid journey because there's certain things that are just hard fucking no's. Like I'm not doing a universal hairdo. I think that is disgraceful. People do that Like a side braid, like a fishtail. (laughs) Like a fucking side braid. I'm not doing a dance entry. Like there's no fucking way when they introduce you one by one and you're the Macarena and then you're doing this fishy. Like I'm not doing that with a gun to my head. I will say hard no. Pick a new girl. Not happening. Um, Those are really my only conditions. Uh, The second piece you bring up is so important because nothing. It's crazy to me that on Friday you go for two hours to like you know, a venue for the ceremony is and you practice walking in a straight line and veering left. It's disgusting. But then 30 seconds before you make an entrance onto the dance floor at the reception, they're like, hey, guys, <laughs> make up a small choreographed dance with your partner that you don't know. That is your, you know, my husband's friend, Brian, that was on his basketball team in seventh grade because we're trying to even things out because he doesn't have a lot of close friends. Right. Like, figure it out. We're playing. Bring him out on the loudspeaker. And I'm like, what? Like, so degrading. If I'm not like a da- I'm not like um like I don't take silly pictures. You know when people do a silly picture? Oh my god, yes. They're like, That's "Okay, like give us a funny one." I'm yes. not going to stick my tongue out. I do the same face in every fucking picture. Like I'm not giving you angles. I'm not putting a hand on a hip. I'm not going to be like <laughs> goofy, you know. <laughs> right. So gross. Right. I go from like like clenching to like slightly agape and that is this, like I'm not I'm not pandering to your silliness and I feel like I feel like silly picture people thrive at a wedding reception entry. And like if, yeah, a sprinkler, like I don't, I don't, I I physically can't understand somebody thinking that it's really, really funny to like do the worm. Like that makes my skin crawl. It makes me angry and just resentful at the union of marriage in its entirety. (laughs) Did you let Andrew smash cake in your face? Fuck no. Me neither. (laughs) Fuck no. I didn't do a lot of like typical wedding. I really didn't want our wedding to feel like a wedding. I was so adamant about it just being like a really fun party. I think that our uh, wedding guests probably took that to a different level. Like it became so messy. You know, when your bridesmaid is dry humping the rabbi on the dance floor and it's not even 10 o'clock yet. Right. It's 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 going downhill really fast. And it did. Spring break vibes. I mean, honestly, it's it's kind of one of those things where I, as annoying as it is when things get out of hand, you provided such a hospitable environment for people to, like, thrive and just utterly, like, losing their sense of, like, space and time. Yes. I think it's an, the ultimate compliment to you. <laughs> it was, it was real. It got real weird. But I was loving every second of it because then it became uh, not about me and it was just, like, a spectacle. Oh, for sure. Which is great. Well, and uh, we'll pop over to yours in, in a second. Um, last thing I'll say, I actually, when you like popped on Zoom and came up, I, I had this like vivid memory. So we got m- married a week apart. Like I was May 13th, 2017. Oh, I yeah. think you were the 20th. Yeah. So I think that I got really into your podcast when you were talking about your wedding because I'm, I, I didn't. I identify myself as like a human person, not a bride. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you become a bride, people treat you like you've changed personalities. And so much, I was just having trouble. Like, I don't know. It, it was a kind of a weird planning process. And literally, uh, I got married in Italy. 
I didn't want to get ready with anybody and I yeah. had to do my own hair and makeup because like, am I going to like trust a random person? And like, I, I didn't get a trial, whatever. So I was like needing some isolation and I literally was like doing my makeup in the mirror on my wedding day. And I was like, I just need a palette cleanser. I just need somebody like not treat me like I'm a delicate flower. And I literally listened to your podcast while yes. I was doing makeup on my wedding day. <laughs> so I was there. I was basically your maid of honor. And I didn't thought about that. I was like, that's hilarious. But you were complaining in a good way, in a way I wanted to, about like, can we get this show on the road? So like, over it. It is just, it was so much nonsense. So over it. Wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fingers crossed the karaoke machine doesn't know. <laughs> I know, right? Set Andrew over the edge. Oh my gosh. Okay. So guys, we're going to switch over to Jackie's podcast. So be sure to listen to Jackie on the Bitch Bible. Um, thank you so much for hanging out, coming on, letting us swap. Like, you're such a delight. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. I forgot we were podcasting. That's like the that's the best case scenario for me. For well, sure. Do you want people to find you? Like your TikTok burner? Like, yeah, you definitely you? follow me on TikTok <laughs> if you can find <laughs> at me. user two five six nine nine. Yeah, listen to my podcast, The Bitch Bible, if you feel like it. Wonderful. I honestly think in like our event, I mean, yeah, the the overlap I think is astounding. People have requested you so much over the years. So glad you're here. Thanks so much. Love you. And go over to listen to the Bitch Bible for our episode. Thank Bye. you. I hope you guys liked that. I thought it was so much fun. I seriously, I just think she cracks me up and I dream of being half as straightforward as she is. I'm just always like, well, maybe, I don't know. You know, it's like, I I think it's important to have people in our ears that are like strong senses of self that are direct and honest. And while I'm honest, I'm not great at like the delivery because I feel so bad hearing things come out of my mouth that are my truth. But why am I lying to people in the name of, you know, being polite? It, it's something that drives me crazy about myself that I'm actively trying to correct. And I, I, I find the honesty refreshing. Anyway, guys, I'm gonna get to some of these emails. I am so excited. So these are emails people wrote in about their experiences working in retail stores and malls or otherwise, namely kind of the more teen type stores. And um, I just I'm gonna I so I don't read them before I and I will I'll respond to your email. So, you know, I got it and it's usually pretty short and it's not because I don't like your story. It's because I won't I haven't read it yet. I'm waiting to read it on air. And then I just keep in the ones that are um, some of my favorites are the provide the best range of the the issue at hand that we are trying to dissect. And as, as a person who worked at the California Pizza Kitchen, who briefly worked as a mall greeter, but only at Christmas time, who wrapped bath bombs at a bath store. Uh, where else did I work? I've worked at a Max and Irma's. I worked at uh, there was a Bev Cart Grill on a golf course for several years. I had so many random jobs, but I never worked retail because I can't sell because I can't like I, I, I am too. I would overthink the mechanics of complimenting you. And I'd say something really uncomfortable about, you know, how nice your finger looks in those jeans when I really just meant to you know be like, you look great. But instead, I try to be specific because I like for people to use their words and give specific compliments. But I feel like I turn into like one of, you know, my that's such a fun top type of like mom friends. And, you know, we'll like stumble and tell somebody that the, the, their slacks are really flattering on their rear. And it's like, what, who am I? <laughs> anyway, this person said hi, or should I say, hey, what's up? <laughs> when I worked at Gilly Hicks, the short-lived underwear branch of Abercrombie & Fitch, I was required to say, welcome to Gilly Hicks. We're A&F's cheeky cousin. <laughs> I hate, I really hate the word cheeky in, as an adjective for like a personality or a quirk. 
or, you know, the butt cheek of it all. Uh, she said, my soul died a little bit every time I said it. And even more when a customer would make me repeat myself. <laughs> I do not remember Gilly Hicks. And that's such a weird brand name for Abercrombie and Fitch subsidiary. But Gilly will forever make me think of, you know, Kristen Wiig, SNL, Tiny Hands, right? My first job was at Air Pastel between 2009 and 2012, which was at the time that aggressively layered shirts were the height of fashion. The store had some of the weirdest dress code requirements to look aero cool, most notably the requirement to wear at least one cami under your shirt. These camis were considered an add-on, and we had to track how many we sold during our shift, and we got extra points if you could convince someone to add on to their purchase at the register. Every time I went to work, you had to see that cami peeking out of the bottom of my already form-fitting head layer graphic tee. And if you wanted extra bonus points with the managers, you would wear both lace, a lace cami and a regular cami to really convince the customers that you weren't cool unless you had at least three layers of clothing on at all times. They really did push the camis, and then it's like they almost... You know, when, um, you know, it's like the makers of Afresh, Afresh, the uh, front loading washer, like mold cleaner is made by the parent company of Maytag, who also makes my washer. I'm like, why don't you just make a non-moldy washer instead of having to manufacture? It's vertical integration. So they make all these ridiculously deep V's and Henleys that are so school inappropriate for a teen in an effort to just sell you all the camis that are so overpriced and smell like fierce. But, you know, when they started adding lace to the top, it was like, oh, I'm Samantha. I'm a kid. But, you know, I feel scandalous all of a sudden. But, yeah, I, I, I three layers, honestly, was a minimum in my book because the, the cool part was pulling them as low as you could in order to prevent a, a you know, a low rise LEI whale tail. If, you know, let's be honest, you were getting your camis from the sale rack because you couldn't afford jeans from Abercrombie. And then when you pull your camis down, it's like, okay, I want a white one and then I want a pink one. So then oh, my paper thin shirt over that, you can kind of see the pink, but also then I have the Neapolitan ice cream effect of tunic camis, you know? Anyway, <laughs> I hear you when I see you. I was, this person said, I was never lucky enough to work at a hot girl retail store. <laughs> I think Megan the Stallion, real hot girl shit. <laughs> hot girl retail is a, a whole different uh, thing in and of itself. We used to play the buckle game in the buckle in our tiny mall. You'd have to try to get to the back of the store and touch the wall before somebody who worked there said something to you. Almost never won. Yeah, you can't win. You cannot go into a buckle without somebody French kissing you, essentially, verbal, like with their words, being like, you are so pretty. You're meant to be a jeans model. Can I help you? Do you need a dressing room? Well, let me just pick out, pick out a few things for you that are fun that'll go well with those jeans. And then they pick me out like all these rugby shirts. <laughs> don't wear, I don't wear rugby shirts. Um... Buckle, yeah, I hope we get more buckle stories. That 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 retail handbook apparently is insane in terms of the hard sell. Oh my gosh, this person looked at, worked at Limited 2 at Short Pump Town Center. That's my mall growing up. In high school, when we answered the phone, we had to say, it's a girl's world at Limited 2, this is X. Or when it was the most coveted time of year, two bucks season. <laughs> we would say, it's two bucks time at Limited 2, this is Gate. If you were assigned to be a greeter at the front door, you were supposed to use the same confusing greeting without introducing yourself which was uncomfortable because everybody looked confused at how to respond. Yeah, because if you're like, it's two bucks time at limited two, it's a girl's word at limited two, you're kind of like, um, hi, um, yeah, sure, you too? Like, I don't know, it's, it's an uncomfortable salutation. He said, we also had to collect phone numbers when we started a transaction, which was the bane of my existence. The numbers were used for an automated phone service named Jessica, who would leave voicemails reminding people to come shop when we had sales running. People would always come into the store demanding to speak to Jessica and have them removed from the call list. Limited to his big Jessica energy. That's funny. I worked at a Hollister one summer in college. 
I expected it to be a cool, sexy job where I'd meet cool people, perhaps even a summer hottie, but it was mostly tedious work with awkward customer interactions and awful pay. The things that stand out, one, the amount of fragrance we had to spray on the clothes. It was three sprays per stack of clothes during both opening and closing. IDK if Abercrombie had more cash for automatic sprayers throughout the store or if we had a system too, but they just wanted to collect the clothes to smell extra good. Picture trying to close, running around an entire store, spraying each pile of clothes three times, each with a bottle. Say there's two rows of five stacks of shirts on a table. That's three sprays times five stacks times two. Imagine spraying a perfume bottle 30 times at once in a 10-foot square area. Someone should do a study on the long-term effects of employees' lung health who worked at these stores. Honestly, yeah. I was just thinking that. I'm like, you you guys should have been given N95s back then. I, I, and were you spraying Jake and Aya? <laughs> though they were kind of gender neutral if i recall um also you had this says do you want the perfect ride there this was for some gene promo where people could enter to win a tricked out surfer bra van probably a wv oh vw i assume we had to ask everyone who entered the store and it was super awkward to get people's attention by asking them about riding so they'd walk in instead of like saying hey what's up you had to be like do you want the perfect ride that is so strange It sucked when they didn't even appear to be of driving age or if it was a grumpy parent who clearly didn't want want to be there. And the most common response was, what? And it was just so ineffective. And three, they had on-call shifts. So ridiculous. Retail mall jobs like these all did this and paid something like $7.35 per hour at the time. So we had to work other jobs to pay money. On-call shifts were days that we weren't on the schedule, but we were expected to come in within an hour's notice of our shift if time needed. I mean, like an emer- I mean, why like an emergency perfume sprayer, an emergency paper thin shirt snacker? It's like just scheduled the right number of people. It's not like a restaurant. Uh, we were basically expected not to not have any other plans or jobs. Um, that is so funny. This person worked at Delia is like the catalog retail store in a mall in the mid two thousands. I honestly did not know they had retail stores. We'd answer the phone with, we're having a great day in Delia's. How can I help you? And you had to really hit the R. We sounded like Tony the Tiger. <laughs> that really is strange. <laughs> uh, this person said, I worked at Abercrombie for less than five hours. <laughs> oh, Lord. Because on the first day on the floor, the creepy manager that hired me after an interview where he didn't ask me any professional questions, all he said was, what do you do for fun? Oh, my God. Do you hang out anywhere around here? Do you have a boyfriend questions? And he told me at the end of my first shift that the store was giving me an additional 20% off my employee discount for short skirts because I had nice legs. Ooh, gross. Not funny. Ew. My mom was already uncomfortable with me working there. And after that call to quit for me, I was 16. and The manager was about 32. My mom wouldn't give me the address to send my paycheck. She went to pick it up herself. Good for your mom. Moms, you know, sometimes you're like, come on, be cool, mom. But they probably can sniff these things out, you know. No pun intended, but I, that is so creepy and weird and I'm glad you quit. And also that's what Jackie said. It's like, they didn't ask you to do anything else besides greet. You were probably being groomed to be a greeter, which could have been a cushy gig, but not with a predatory boss. Like, ew, ew, ew. Um, I had the pleasure of working at both Abercrombie Kids and Buckle during my teen years. Here are my memories, parentheses, traumas. The Buckle was the worst working experience of my life. I only wanted to work there to get discounts on silver flare jeans, but soon realized those damn jeans would come at the expense of having to harass anyone who stepped foot in the store. We were always told to compliment the guests, and if they were in, went in the dressing room with a shirt, we were supposed to bring them a whole GD outfit, including shoes and accessories to try on. To make matters worse, 
Our manager would make us describe what we were wearing for every shift. So we would walk in for our shift and then he would be like, so what are you wearing today? Like it was a freaking red carpet and not a Tuesday night in dingy in a dingy retail store in a depressing mall. Did you get to pick anything from the store? That's kind of fun though. Like I said, I only wanted the jeans, so I only purchased one or two tops and a brown sweater that I share with my girlfriend who also worked there at the time. Finding different ways to describe the same damn brown sweater each shift is probably what made me a half-decent copywriter today. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> Wait, that's, um, you see, you didn't get to use their clothes. You had to buy, that's so stupid. Um, working at Abercrombie Kids was actually hella fun. Our store was young, fun, and void of any Joel-like managers. When closing during one of my first few shifts, the manager asked me to go down to Big Abercrombie and ask for the moose head brush because brushing the moose was part of the closing duties. I thought it was effing weird, but sure. I walked down to Big Abercrombie and asked for the moose head brush. They hemmed and hawed for a minute before telling me the Gap borrowed it and I should go down and check with them. Being 16 and gullible as hell, I walked my ass down to Gap and asked them for Abercrombie's moose head brush. They looked at me like I had been sniffing fierce too long. Needless to say, there was no moose head brush and brushing the moose was not part of closing duties. <laughs> That is the dumbest joke I've ever heard. It's like Emily Gilmore and Richard being talking about their days at, at Yale when they used to, you know, steal the bulldog mascot. You know, it's like this is just dumb, dumb insular pranks that aren't even funny. I thought at least it was going to turn out to be pervy. Not that I want that for your life, but it's just like a moose brushing, brushing joke. <laughs> also, honestly, I'm so triggered by the buckle comment with the compliments like literally I spent I, I when I my first job, as I've told you, I had to open a credit card to get a New York and company suit. Yet I somehow would go leave a buckle having spent $180 on two pairs of jeans because Carrie told me I look so good in them. And I was like, she's so thoughtful. I want her to get commission. This is where salespeople manipulate you. And you think you're being a good person, but really you're just, you know, succumbing to buying overpriced denim because you feel guilty that she brought you rugby shirts and those weird Birkenstock moccasin clogs to try on with your two lengthy pants because you loved how elegantly those bells cascaded over those bills. By that, I mean bell bottoms and duck bills because those suede cloggy Birkenstock things just are so weird, the most unflattering shoe shape. <laughs> but I loved when my jeans would drag on the, you know how it was cool to have your jeans drag on the floor to the point where your foot almost chewed off the back and you were like, yeah, this is it. Uh, that was my favorite. And I just wonder like as a society, why have we not brought, brought back clogs? Like everything else, you know, leggings off the shoulder tops, crop tops, even tube tops apparently are coming back. I don't want flares to come back and I don't want low rise to come back, but I wouldn't hate a clog. The official shoe of when you don't have your own style or taste yet and you just wear the stuff that's bought for you at LLB or Land's End, you know? It's kind of like how I was saying you can't buy a low cut Abercrombie shirt without a cami. You can't buy, you know, the fresh laundry cleaner without the you know manufacturer of the same washing machine. I do not think you can buy a clog without also having a matching two-pocket monogrammed L.L. Bean backpack in either a color cobalt or forest. I typically found those to be the more popular of the colors. I, I, I always thought it was interesting uh, who chose to go with the diamond monogram versus the block letter. Diamond meaning your last name is in the middle. Um, you know, it's, it's a personal decision. I do think the diamond is more classic, uh, but the block lettering is more juvenile. It really just depends. But all that really matters, I guess, is you do have a fully reflective silver band on the front. So a school bus does not hit you because as with every urban legend of every school, whether college or elementary school, if a bus hits you, you do get free tuition. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. And also I went to public school. So who the hell knows? But anyway, real quick, I want to thank our final sponsor this week, a company that I love very much that single handedly gave me purpose during quarantine, which is HelloFresh. 
You can get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes cooking easy, fun, and affordable at home. You know, I just, I can't, you you guys heard me talk the other day. What was it? It's, it's the berry picking energy for me. Well, I don't understand people who forage. I don't understand how people can read a recipe that inevitably is going to call for a shallot after they tell me their Mima's life story. And I'm like, who has spare shallots lying around? This is insanity. A lot of what prevents me from cooking is not having the ingredients I need lying around. And then by the time I go buy them all in full size, I'll use them a couple of times and it's more, it's cheaper to get takeout, right? But you can save 40% by using HelloFresh versus shopping at your local grocery store. There's a minimal food waste and it cuts out the stressful meal planning and, and grocery store trips. And typically I can get dinner on the table in about 30 to 45 minutes or less. And I kind of decompress and it's Kind of one of my favorite things to do anymore. But yeah, I really do like this sustainability piece and not overbuying. And uh, actually, according to my husband's alma mater, the University of Michigan, since they offset their operations, travel and shipping emissions, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought grocery-made meals. That's very interesting data. We love a socially responsible sponsor. And if you want to give these fresh, pre-portioned, high-quality meals a try you can get 80 dollars off and bear with me because i know this code's a little confusing if you go to hellofresh.com slash be there in 580 the how the show is spelled f-i-v-e number 80 and use code be there in 580 to get a total of 80 dollars off your first month including free shipping on your first box additional restrictions apply and please visit hellofresh.com for more details but again, if you go to HelloFresh.com slash be there in 580 and use code be there in 580, you'll get a total of $80 off your first month, including free shipping. That's be there in F-I-V-E and then the number's 80. It's my fault for having a number in my name. I know that's confusing. And thanks to HelloFresh. All right, back to emails. Let's see here. Uh, this person said, I worked at Abercrombie one summer in college. I got the job after I happened to come into the shop and they said, do you want to work here? <laughs> Unbelievable. First off, I don't think I look like an Amber from how... From how model? What's how model? Am I missing something? <clears throat> at that time, 2004, ANF was at a peak, so I thought, why not? I never actually applied. I just showed up the first day and then filled out the actual paperwork. Told us we couldn't wear any other brand names, had to cut the tags off of my rainbow sandals, which seemed life shattering at the time. I mean, yeah, it's a little close to the uh, stitching, you know? I don't, I don't even know how you'd effectively do that. Couldn't wear a lot of makeup because they only wanted natural looking pretty people. <clears throat> no fake nails. And they also had like 100 employees on the schedule, some of which hadn't worked in months. They intentionally did that so no one ever worked full-time and everyone had to buy their clothes. So did you get clothes if you were full-time? Interesting. They also had people who only worked in the dump room and the managers legit referred to them as the less attractive people. Ugh. They made me stand at the front table and uh, refold the same t-shirts for hours on this little t-shirt folding board. I would cringe whenever someone would start touching my table knowing I would have to perfectly refold it or get in trouble. Yeah, it's so, truly, I didn't, until later in life, I didn't really think about how annoying it is to mess up a retail table, but like, I, I would be so irritated. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Uh, it was the worst job ever. I lasted all of a month and still have PTSD from the smell of cologne and pulsating EDM music. It's crazy to think of all I got away with back then versus what would be considered acceptable now. It's so true. I mean, especially like you didn't even have to interview or have any experience. It was just look space, like so messed up. Um, this person said, I worked at Forever 21 in 2006. I worked at the store just as they were opening. It was a very nice Forever 21 and management took their jobs very seriously as they were frequently 
surprise visited by regional management to see how the store was doing. One of the areas in the store was a large jewelry room and my mom, my job was to take a fake silver platter, pick jewelry that I thought went well together, lay them on the platter and walk around in the jewelry area, showing them to people, trying to get them to buy it. As if they wanted me to act like we were some kind of fancy department store in the 1950s and it was cheap plastic junk. I would also frequently be asked to take one of the purses for sale and sell it by the end of my shift or I'd be in trouble. I was 16 years old and needless to say, I was not good at this job. This resulted in me begging people to please take this purse for me and carry it around the store as if they were going to buy it and then just set it down somewhere. I was legitimately telling customers I had to sell this bag to keep my job and begging them to pretend to buy it. So embarrassing. And I'm sure customers are like, what the hell is going on in this store? <clears throat> Another thing that was ridiculous was if someone asked where your clothes came, you had on came from and you had to tell them Forever 21, even if that wasn't true. Most of my clothes were from Ross. <laughs> oh, this is from a model at the Shore Pump Polister. I was probably scared of you. Uh, they were required to say, hey, what's up? Or welcome to the pier when customers walked in. Nail polish could only be pink, red or French tip on toes and fingernail polish could be only be clear. No fake nails allowed, and a lot of us broke this rule. Yeah, acrylics were hot back then. That's funny that Abercrombie wanted natural people, too. They want, like, breezy, fresh, blue crush, cool, cruel summer. You know what I mean? Like, you people, that like the girl before this just said, they only pick, like, legitimately pretty model-esque people that don't need a lot of maintenance, I guess, and just look like they walked out of the sea. Like I always say, you know you're hot if you look good wet. That is, like, the ultimate telltale um flip-flops had to be worn if you worked on the sales floor regardless of the season but if you worked in the stock room you could also wear converse hair and makeup was supposed to look natural no bright hair colors hair accessories bright eyeshadow colorful lipstick tops had to be blue white or gray bottoms had to be denim or white there was one summer where we came out with a line of colorful chino shorts that we were allowed to wear it's exciting um jewelry had to be very minimal no bracelets or rings or more than just a dainty necklace and small stud earrings. One Christmas, I got a Pandora bracelet, and the manager before a shift told me, oh my God, I love your bracelet. It's so pretty, but leave it in your locker. <laughs> they probably learned that in the handbook. It's like, like, oh my God, I love your clogs, but put them in your locker. Please wear flip-flops and cut out the rainbow tags that you spent your entire paycheck, well, four paychecks buying. Weren't rainbows like four? Like, what were they? I feel like rainbows were at least $100 now and they like allegedly lasted forever. But then you didn't take into consideration that styles don't last forever and you wouldn't be wearing like leather flip flops anymore in like two years. Um, it was never outright said, but they seemed to have a practice of hiding people who didn't fit their look in the back stock room. I remember wanting to work in the back because it was where more of the interesting day to day business work happened. But they were adamant about me being in the floor as a model or greater or greeter, you know, good for you which I always thought was interesting because aside from being tan and kind of cute, I really didn't fit the bill of the other tall skinny girls who actually looked like models working there. We also had to send in our headshots quarterly to be picked from as models for the signage, but I don't remember anyone from our store ever being selected. Oh my God. It's like a cover that they have to send in quarterly to make sure they're hiring people hot enough, I bet. And they just say it's a contest. It's so messed up. It's like a loop giveaway, you know, like never going to happen. <sighs> As you can guess, I remember it feeling very restrictive when I was an employee there. But after I graduated college, a few years later, I became a manager at a different location. And I was glad to see things had changed for the better. They've become more relaxed with employees showing their individual style and personality by not restricting appearance and clothing. They've adopted customer service over the priority of being cool. I.e. now saying, how, how can I help you instead of, hey, what's up? Which is good to see. <laughs> I worked there for six years total. Wow. 
No, I think it's like honestly putting people in the back or in the stock room or like it's so messed up and it reminds me of sorority recruitment and like being a, the person in the kitchen or in the basement. And it's just like the, the implications on a person's self-esteem, the just general m- monstrous nature of a person da- up down who is like trickling down appearance based hiring and retail floor strategies like you like makes me sick to my stomach and i'm sorry if anybody was ever put in a stock room it's so messed up and i mean adult me would be like f you i'm gonna go work at rei and at least buy some mountain boots to eventually hit my peak unlike you who is hitting yours at the age of 15 and good luck with that did i just say mountain boots i meant hiking boots (laughs) moon shoes person said oh my gosh i worked at abercrombie during the summer of 2008 to this day i remember it being one of the most intense interviews of my of my life they interviewed me in the middle of a store they led me to their trendy leather couches with animal fur rugs underneath while the store was full of shoppers the girl interviewing me literally did not smile she stared at me through her non-prescription glasses (laughs) anyway i'll never forget when she said so what do you think abercrombie is trying to say through its clothing design or something like that i responded um sexy but innocent like a question, Ugh, it still haunts me, but I got the job and spent the summer unfolding and refolding infant-sized tank tops in front of the store. I also got to spray the cologne, which was really fun. You should compare your um, bronchial issues with the earlier stories. <laughs> I'm sexy, but innocent. You're, you put like you were dead on. That's probably why you got hired. That was an astute observation that I did not have until after I spent two years wearing a shirt that said Midnight Cowgirl without realizing it's basically like I have sex sitting on top of people at night. No wonder it was on the clearance rack. Um, I worked at Hollister. The first line you had to say was, hey, what's up? In the interview, they asked, can you say, hey, what's up? I thought they wanted me to change it a little. They did not. <laughs> so you couldn't be like, hey, sup. Hey, what's up? Or like, hey, what's up? Or like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? I don't know how I would do it. But I think how Jackie's are like, hey, what's up? You know, is probably what they wanted. Uh, at the counter, we had to say, do you want California in a bottle? This was to drum up sales of their perfume, SoCal. <laughs> do you want California in a bottle? Have you met Jake? It's like, are you okay? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I bet they'd switch to do you want California in a bottle when DOC California Here We Come became popular in like Laguna Beach because the, uh, the, the years I'm thinking of are really like 2004, maybe 2006 or seven when Southern California was thriving. And not just like Real Housewives of OC Southern California with sky tops, statement necklaces and bangles, but like surfer chic, tiny jean skirt, layered tank, Kristen Cavallari side bang and driving in a Zuzu that's donezo. It bothers me because when she says her name or she used to say Kristen Cavallari, but then the show is very Cavallari because it rhymes. But that would be me having a show that's like, I don't know, uh, getting ready with Kate Kennedy. It's like, no, no, it's just not how you spell it. Or like the the forever confusion we all have between Judice and Judice. Judice is like the American pronunciation. Judice is the Italian. It's very confusing. Uh, anyway, finish this person's email. They, she said, "Secret shoppers came in. You when secret shoppers came in, you were ranked on the attractiveness of the employees and diversity. This typically they typically tried to have the most attractive employees in the front of the store for the secret shopping test. Okay, that's interesting because I feel like up until now it's been like speculation of I think they were hired this person for this, but that's some intel. And then blame it on the third party secret shoppers, I bet, so they didn't have liability. So in college, and it's also like so creepy to have adults come in and like rate the attractiveness. Weird. So in college, I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch in a massive store in a massive mall in Pennsylvania. Ooh, was it King of Prussia? 
so many cringy, 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 cringy things. But one of my friends who did not work there still remembers 10 years later that we had to greet people with, hey, welcome to INF. Did you know our jeans could make you a star? <laughs> because of a stupid prom promotion with the denim and a TV show. Probably One Tree Hill or something. People would laugh in my face when I said it. And I only said it if a manager was in earshot. It was so embarrassing. That is so embarrassing. I also, I, like, I feel embarrassed sometimes with ads. Like when they are, you know, like if you want to do X, then get Y with code B there in five. I'm like, ugh, but sometimes it's mandatory. I, I understand your plight. Uh, I also only worked there so I could work with my boyfriend and they prefer to discover people while they shop. So I went one day when he was working and I wore a very Abercrombie beachy look, little makeup, not how I typically looked in 2010. And he pointed me out to his manager to say, it looked like I should work there. So his manager came over and that's how I got the job. You are resourceful. That is brilliant. It's ridiculous. And then when I started there, I had pink eyes. So jokes on all of us. <laughs> we weren't allowed to wear bottom eyeliner, more than one ring on each hand, more than one bracelet or watch total, bold lipstick, unnatural hairstyles or hair colors. And of course, I'd be wearing the clothes. I remember that summer it was big on plaid button downs, knotted over a tank or strapless baby doll dresses. Super conducive to reaching up high for jeans and product in the stock room. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I worked at Abercrombie in addition to the rotating greetings. Hey, what's up? How's it going? What's happening? We had super strict dress code that meant no matter what colors were in and being sold there, we had to wear a mix of denim, navy, white, and gray, all from A&F, of course. As you know, this also meant wearing a navy, white, and gray shirt, polo tank, tee simultaneously. Layering was the key. To ensure all the stores were following the dress code, and in hindsight, probably to ensure all the stores were hiring the right people, so sick and messed up, we'd have to take a monthly team photo to send to HQ. I'd usually be asked to participate as the resident pale, translucent, thin, long-haired blonde, but sometimes we didn't have ample representation to demonstrate how diverse our store was, so we'd borrow Hollister employees from the other side of the mall and dress them in our moose polos for one night only and send them back after we snapped a pic. Oh my god. This, it, it's like... It's like companies trying to, you know, cry diversity by just donating to charity. It's like, no, the only way to correct for issues with diversity is just to have more diversity. So more diversity, more diversity is naturally factored in because homogenous environments don't prioritize diversity. I mean, there's so many things about this that's messed up. Um, it's so bad. The store kept a binder of the monthly photos. I wonder where it is today. Probably on somebody's like, you know desk drawer named Ron. Uh, what was my store number? That's a secret I'll never tell. XOXO. <laughs> so I worked a couple retail mall jobs back in college, each lasting between probably one and three months. The first one was Hollister, where I just stood at the entrance and aggressively sprayed perfume around the entrances. I don't remember Jake and... Oh, it was Jake and Malia. Why did I think it was Aya? But I know I wasn't allowed to use the cash register, and they only occasionally let me steam t-shirts before op opening hours. I also remember a manager telling me not to ask guests if they needed anything, but only to help them if they specifically asked. Despite working a retail job, I hated talking to people I didn't know. So it was actually great for me to pretend my shyness was me being cool. That's such a funny reverse buckle of like, be too cool to talk to the customers and intimidating. Don't ask them what they need. Just like look good. Oh my God. I also worked in a mall kiosk next to Bath and Body Works. The kiosk sold fake jewelry and usually one person worked at a time. I was going through the drawers of the kiosk looking for a pen and I saw a note from a date I worked with my every movement track, like 10 a.m., sat down, 10.15, talked to customer, 10.30, visited with friends, family. I took the note and showed the other girl and we traded shifts. She and I were convinced the Bath & Body Works employees were spying on our boss's behalf because we felt like they were always watching us. Your Bath & Body Jerks episode truly connected with me on a personal level. 
Anyway, a few days later, we got a memo saying all employees must wear red or dark pink lipstick, have nails painted all the time without chips, and may not sit down unless eating and only eat away from the kiosk, and we couldn't talk to friends, family while working. The classic red lipstick look was not a thing yet, and that requirement put me over the edge, so I quit. That is an interesting concept of if you work at a kiosk, like nobody's really overseeing it. When I gave out Toblerone bars at the New River Valley Mall in exchange for market research data, I was like always just like chomping on a salad behind the booth. It wasn't endearing. <laughs> I worked at an Abercrombie for a total of two weeks, my freshman year in college. We were told when a customer asked for a different size that was not on the floor to go to the back and not actually look for it. We would hang out for a while and chat with the stock boys. They told us the goal was to limit sizes and quantities to make items more desirable. We were also not allowed to sell the clothes off the ma mannequins because they were owned by the store and it's self and not Abercrombie. Allegedly, there are also cameras in the moose to watch the cash register. I quit after two weeks. It was the most annoying job and they tried to have me work overnights, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. to reset the floor and vacuum while I was still a full-time student. I don't think I ever quit. I just stopped going. I might still be on the schedule. You know what? That's the ultimate cool girl move. It would have been cool to like peace out, mic drop. And by mic drop, I mean like retail, you know, tag attaching gun in front of the moose's face in case there's a camera. Just to like make an exit. Are there, there's a giant moose in every Abercrombie, right? That's interesting to think there's cameras in there, though it makes a ton of sense. I'm sure there's cameras everywhere in dressing rooms too. It's ridiculous. Um, also, smart to limit sizes and quantities i mean you go to an old navy they're lousy with sizes it's almost un uninteresting <laughs> uh let's see my neighbor used to work at abercrombie in college early 2000s he said when guys would try on jeans he was supposed to compliment them by saying those look good from the front ultimately complimenting their penis size and jeans not sure if this is still in practice oh my god <laughs> allegedly I love that you're potentially doing a segment on Abercrombie Mall stores. I worked at Abercrombie on and off from 2007 to 2009 during my last year of high school slash first two years of college. Looking back on the experience is so bittersweet because the store and its policies were extremely problematic. However, I did make so many close friends there. We had a blast and always looked forward to our shifts because let's face it, all we did was fold jeans and polos and hang out with each other. Sorry, this is long. Uh, it's okay. I mean, don't apologize to me. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't necessarily recruited to work there, but I did have a friend from high school that worked there. And one day while I was shopping, she said, oh my God, you should work here too. Let me get my manager. She returned with her manager, a girl named Lindsay, who was ballerina thin and giving tan mom a run for her money. The manager looks me up and down and goes, yeah, she can apply. The interview was a 20 minute chat over Starbucks with a guy, maybe three years my senior. I started work on Black Friday and got reprimanded for having my nails painted and wearing visible eyeshadow. Um, they, so she also had all of these this exact exact same natural rules and she had to wear flip-flops year-round and she lived in michigan after i started working there i learned there were two positions people were hired for model and impact team models were the more attractive of the crew and the ones you saw on the sales floor and cashiers impact team were the trolls in the back steaming clothes oh my god unpacking boxes cleaning out fitting rooms etc i still remember the day one of the assistant managers moved me from impact team to model and in my 18 year old mind i had made it See, that's the problem, too, is I like I would have not seen a problem with this at all in high school. I would have been like, hell yeah. If I like I said earlier, if I were a teen witch, what would I have done? Make myself popular. But, you know, depth is a journey. <laughs> this one says my favorite yet most cringeworthy memory of working at Abercrombie was when the CEO came to visit. He made the rounds and visited each store one time per year with his crew. He was scheduled to tour the store before the mall opened around 9 a.m. So the day before we each worked 12 hour shifts to ensure the store looked perfect. I learned the morning of his visit that three of the managers actually slept at the store on the giant leather chairs 
need the cash wrap and were running off hits of cocaine the next day. Our store didn't have the greatest selection of diversity among employees, so one of the assistant managers paid his sister's two friends, one black girl and one Asian girl, to work at the store that day. Oh, my God. This is so sick. Just like, ugh. I'm, like, so annoyed. He bought them brand new outfits and told them what to say should Mike ask them any questions. Mike arrived to our store in a hopping polo, ripped jeans, and ANF leather flip-flops. It was February in Michigan, so you can imagine how out of place this outfit looked. I couldn't tell how old he was, but in my memory, he's a mix of Donald Trump and Drew Parcell. <laughs> so specific. He and his cronies made a few laps around the store, and he stopped to talk to one of his hired diverse employees he asked her if she was like liked working there and she responded yeah it's fun after looking her up and down he told the general manager of the store that it would be her last day and she, no <gasps> no and she didn't fit the aesthetic of the company AK, you're not attractive and exciting enough to work here i was so embarrassed for this poor girl and felt sick to my stomach i told my boyfriend what had happened after my shift ended and he was so disgusted he took it upon himself to fill out applications for me at other stores restaurants to get me out of working there a few weeks later, it was a mass exodus of employees, myself included, who found a lucrative babysitting gig where I could wear Uggs and nail polish with, with no punishment. That is so messed up. Allegedly. This is all allegedly. I don't know. But the CEO did. Oh, my God. Well, he's honestly, if you read any, there's so many issues with Abercrombie and like the disgusting shirts they sold, the racist shirts they sold. I laugh because of the memories. I don't laugh because I take uh, I see any levity with what they were doing. But like almost with the reception of it in our youth, how we like didn't even know this was wrong because it was just presented as truth, you know. I worked at Lululemon and besides basically being a cult, a group interview for the job, I remember them asking if you were going on a road trip, where would it be and what would you bring? <laughs> what would I say? Uh, required reading for when you were hired, constant goal trading, landmark conferences, etc. We were taught about our ideal customer and how we always had to think about her and how things would fit her, what she would like or do. Her name is Ocean. <laughs> And she does yoga every day, bikes to work, makes six figures, and has a boyfriend named Mountain. We were supposed to think, how would Ocean wear this? What would Ocean use this for? What? Wow. No wonder they never really talked to me. They must have terms for people that aren't Ocean. Like, oh, that, like, don't talk to that girl over there. She does not look outdoorsy. She does not look fit. Like, we've got a landlocked bitch on aisle four, you know? <laughs> Uh, also, as a side note, I worked at the highest grossing Lululemon store in Canada, and 95% of our customers were buying yoga pants to wear as everyday clothing. Not exactly how Ocean would have wanted it. But their employee discount was, and free yoga spin group classes were worth lying to ourselves, pretending we could all be Ocean one day. Uh, I guess I get, like, your ideal customer, but it is funny, because when, yeah, like, I, I don't know... I feel like people that do that much yoga and exercise don't spend that type of money on pieces because they're just sweating through clothing and they'll buy stuff anywhere. Whereas if you want to wear things as a staple, like when you're not exercising to look like you're wearing nice workout clothes, you'd go to a Lululemon, you know, bike to work. Oh my God. Would never. I have to preface everything below is heinous and we knew it was heinous, but we were broke in a recession and desperate college kids looking to make money while hungover. Okay, so this is all allegedly. These have to be said, required. Look, policy and taglines are the Bible of A&F. They had a contest around their jeans where the winner would be featured in something. I can't remember. Maybe their magazine they were trying to push at the time. The cash wrap ta tagline was, did you know where jeans can make you a star? Yep. Imagine saying that to a grandmother of a 15-year-old teen. Uh, hey, 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 what's up? Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Not to be confused with, hey, guys, what's going on? Is that lame? 
Wait. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Thanks, guys. Catch you later. Not to be confused with, hey, guys, what's going on? So you can't say guys? That's confusing. They wanted signups for their app. This was before mobile apps were commonplace, but you had to ask everyone to sign up for, on the credit card machine. Did you know Fierce and Eight make great stocking stuffers? <laughs> music. One soundtrack was generally around an hour long. It was a bit of a Stockholm syndrome with the music because if the Red Bull girls came around the mall that day, you best believe a bunch of hyped up models were singing and dancing to the soundtrack. I love the Red Bull girls. There was one soundtrack I will never forget. It, was to, it went to the magazine to sign up tagline that was about the jeans making you a star. It was a miserable 44 minutes long and could be heard on average six times in one shift. I will never recover. The music sometimes did have amazing remixes to new and old songs, although there was a remix of Never Gonna Give You Up on one soundtrack, so all employees got rickrolled at least four times a day. We had five soundtracks per year. During off hours, they used to have another music station you could switch to that had normal music while the store was closed. I will never forget the day they got rid of that, and we mourned. Yeah, I actually I have a huge pet peeve of background music that I do not like. Uh, look policy, store culture. They called being on the floor ready for the show. So if you got in trouble for something you were wearing or how you looked, they would just passive aggressively say you weren't ready for the show. Every floor set came with new lookbooks and every model essentially looked the same. Within that lookbook, models were urged to copy exact outfits. There were look policies for your overall hygiene. Everything down to what models were looking for were classified as natural. No nail polish. No not really colored hair, no facial hair. Uh, natural black hair was fine, but no braids or dreads. Jesus Christ, I hate racist dress codes. Um, no tattoos, no piercings, besides studs in your ears, no heavy makeup, if any at all. Look policy included how to tuck in your shirts, exact science, sciences on how to cuff your jeans, how to properly layer. There's a specific art to cuffing your sleeves. I'd love to hear. There were many years up until I left where plaid was all we wore. If it was cold weather months, you were wearing plaid. They had specific plaid that were approved to wear during store hours. Shoes. There were two options. Chucks or leather flip-flops. In the dead of winter, I'd wear my Uggs through three feet of snow and switch to flip-flops at work. Chucks can only be white, navy, or gray. Yeah, so this all tracks. Um, when you were hired, you got a free pair of jeans, leather flip-flops, and a leather belt. That's it? You need to buy it? That's so annoying. Jeans were the only acceptable bottom or a jean skirt or shorts. Color schemes for models were strictly white, gray, navy, and brown, but only for brown from leather. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Five-minute meetings were at the beginning of your shift to go over target sales taglines and recovery statements because so many people try to steal from Abercrombie and Fitch. But sales never mattered. You didn't have any insight to how the store fiscally performed at all. A manager's goals were not based on the store's sales. They were based on the cast of the show. Oh, my God. That's insane. This should have been a reality show, you know, like making the band. And it's funny how people, I guess, yeah, this is all the same um, lookbook. Uh, there were typically three zones, and the cash wrap room was the canoe room. If you were in zone one or a greeter, kiss any ounce of prefrontal cortex engagement goodbye. You were literally assigned to the front table specifically. If you were folding clothes, you had to bring them to the front table to fold. If you were in zone one, a greeter, you were not allowed to leave that zone, period. Not if you have a deathly hangover, needed to puke, not if you have to pee, nothing. You either have to try and get someone's attention, which LOL above the music, or wait until a manager happens to walk by, again, LOL. Then you have to request th to leave the zone and have them stand there in the meantime, and then they were counting the seconds to you, came back because no one wants to be stuck up there. Good walkie-talkies, but people would blatantly ignore. So in one had one chick in the woman section and one guy in the dude section, because these were typically your hottest people. They would flirt for the entirety of their shift. Hot people do love hot people. Each zone had its own Im imagery guidelines. One for mannequins, one for lighting, one for plans, one for table styling, one for wardrobe styling. Um, 
nothing on the mannequins were for sale. They called them forms. People would scream at us for not being able to get the mannequin outfits down for purchase. They were owned by the brand census team and often included clothing and accessories that your store didn't even sell. They also came with insane lookbooks that you'd replicate down to the ripples in the shirt after it was tucked. Oh yeah, I'm definitely that bitch that's like, it's on the mannequin. <laughs> Come on. And when people wouldn't do it, I just, I, I did, I found it infuriating. I never screamed, but I can see that happening. Uh, lighting, its own packet that would change with the, the floor set. So 18 year olds were on high ladders trying to match the CAD drawings of a, a thousand degree lights. Um, plants were cleaned on Sundays and it was the worst job. <laughs> Pick up a stack of clothes on a table. You'll likely find a paper that outlines how each stack should be spaced and angled. Wardrobe styling, anything hung up as the sample style was always on a specific hanger with a chip clip clutching onto the back of the shirt to bring it in slightly. Even the shirts needed to be skinnier. The denim walls had specific styling specifications. That, I feel like all the merchandising stuff is kind of standard. Um, as managers, we had to walk... This is the recruitment section. As managers, we had to walk the mall or OMFG, the most mortifying, go to the college campuses to recruit, mind you, and look policy. So we stood out like sore thumbs. Each store is required a certain number of diversity hires, usually at least one, and they didn't have to be in the front of the store. <laughs> if you weren't hot enough to be a model, you could be hired as impact. So backstock, you literally stayed in the back. You did not work the floor at all, period. But still, they only hired hot people, right? So it was like the lesser of the hotties. It's like <laughs> so gross. You process shipments, fill the store with product, but you still had to be look policy and dressed and ready for the show. Um, diversity hires count for impact too. So effing effed up. I mean, yeah, it's awful. Like, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's like not surprising from this store, but it, it like, it is kind of a crazy thing where when these, you know, if you're not really thinking about it or trying to keep your job or you hear these policies, they're kind of like, uh the black of a better word like dog whistles like they it's almost like nothing nothing drives me more insane than thinly veiled racism it's like i'd rather you just say that you are than you know be they have all these policies in place that specifically target a particular group like it's disgusting and to be like yeah you can fill the, the you know diversity higher quota and they can never be in the front of the store to actually have, showcase visible diversity that's representative of your customers like are you kidding <laughs> So then she talks about the pictures again that other people have said twice a year or more you to take a cast cast of pictures for corporate. This is your seven ish hottest people to show off the people above you that you were able to get the hottest people in your district. Managers literally would receive raises or promotions based on their store cast. We came in outside of store hours dressed in the exact lookbook and took various photos. If you had more than one black person, you were fucking made in the shade. Even better if you had at least one other person of color. So why not just hire more people of color? This is what I don't get. Like, is it that like, I guess, if, but that's the thing with diversity. It's like if, if you walk into a store and nobody looks like you and the clothes aren't made with you in mind and like there's a representation issue and you're not going to like the store and go back and who wants to work at a store that they didn't even shop at growing up because it had such a diversity and representation issue. You know what I mean? Cycles people. Um, the also the uh, re receiving raises and promotions based on your cast. Like it's so, so weird. I feel like this is um, like the freaking Vanderpump Rules serve photo shoots. It's like, who does sexy photo shoots with their staff? I guess Abercrombie and Fitch did, allegedly. They would pose us in the most inappropriate poses. Basically, like we were all besties and the guys would be holding girls. Girls sitting on laps, etc. It was so uncomfortable. that they These were your coworkers, but also strangers because sometimes the people were hired because they, only because they were hot and black and they 
literally only needed to work like once a month. So they were never in the store uh, and then brought in for the cast of photo. What the, f- oh, like, this is so confusing. What? I- <clears throat> the, uh, the- <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, I, I literally don't have words. Um, I need to finish this email. God forbid your district manager came to your store for a day or even worse. Your regional manager came to your store. Mass panic from both the man- store manager and everyone above. They would judge everything. The dust on the fake plant leaves, the volume of the music, the fragrance coming out of the misters, the look of every model in each zone. If a model's jean cuffs were not correct, if a shirt pile was missing a side sticker, if the back sack was not completely organized, etc. I mean, guys, it keeps going. Like, it's just, this stuff's crazy. And it's interesting because it's like, you, like, you can have, having such messed up policies, being so strict on what you wear, where you stand, what you look like. Uh, requiring people to come in on Sundays to clean plants or to come in for cast photos to have blatantly like racist, misogynistic, problematic policies, all the while paying people like the absolute bare minimum and not even giving them the clothes for their uniform. It's like, how in this, how do we did, did or we live in that world where the, like people, th- this is what's so messed up is like by making you feel special and hot and like you were selective and like part of this cast, they treat you like garbage. And this is, this is what organizations that are unhealthy do is make you feel like you're indebted to them in some way and make you completely lower your standards for what you'd accept absolutely anywhere else. But for some reason, you feel tethered, tied, flattered, indebted to an employer for doing something that's over the top nice or complimentary in another sense that you haven't gotten before otherwise. And for some sick reason, the validation keeps you hanging on. And like, this is why we need to be careful of these things. And this is why this is how sociopaths work too. It's like, when you, when you flatter somebody and it's all like smoke and mirrors, or in this case, fierce, you know, cologne smoke and floor length dressing room mirrors, you sometimes, it clouds your judgment and you aren't even aware of what's really going on and how everything's just a carefully masked uh, strategy to not change at all, but appear at a corporate level like you're cha- the organization's changing, you know, and I hate that Band-Aid nonsense. My God, people. Anyway, that was fun. <laughs> uh, fun, disturbing, all the things, all allegedly. But I mean, I'm thank you guys for writing in. That was fascinating. And a lot of it was super consistent. So seems to track. I, I like, I'm so curious about, I think people probably thought I meant more specifically Abercrombie. And I do want to hear those stories, but I also like any retail stores. Uh, if you ever want to share uh, subject line, have you met Jake? I'm interested just in people's retail experiences, especially with like teenage shoplifting, you know, all the things. Uh, but anyway, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was super fun. I also wanted to shout out a few of the black owned businesses you guys have submitted because I love going through these stories. The first one is Brooklyn tea at Brooklyn They have amazing high quality and organic teas a local hangout pre-COVID in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, New York, and they ship tea from their online shop to all over. They're a big support to the community and even partner with the local garden co-ops to compost. We love this. And I was just perusing uh, brooklyntea.com and they talk about how they're fascinated by tea, its variety of tastes and benefits, how simple it can be, and how significant it is in world history, health, culture, and spirituality. Brooklyn teas are of the highest quality organic and fair trade whenever available. As part of our mission, we provide free expert level tea education to any community we serve. I love that they have a tea room. It's so cute. I don't know when it's going to be back up and running. Oh, no, during COVID, it is open 8 to 6 in Brooklyn. 
And it has over 60 teas and espresso, ample indoor seating, modern decor, and free Wi-Fi. Love this. Recent mentions, Lauren Conrad, 10 Ways to Wind Down. Look at that. Shonda Rhimes mentioned... Sorry, now I'm going through their press. I'm like, damn, Shonda Rhimes mentioned you on Twitter? I mean, what a dream. <laughs> I love that. Thanks to whoever nominated Brooklyn Tea. Next, we have Lace and Pearls Jewelry. The owner's name is Asa, and she's based out of Seattle. And she also has a personal style blog called Lace and Pearls. And she's always been a lover of jewelry and encourages her readers to accessorize. And that's kind of her inspiration behind starting her own jewelry line. She lives with her husband and two cats. She loves watching Younger, Me Too. It's the same show as The Bold Type, but I'm still working on my Venn diagram uh, comparing the two. Snacking on popcorn, shopping online. Her style is a mix of classic and girly, which flows into her designs. Oh, somebody wrote a blurb who nominated her. Uh, handmade, delicate, feminine jewelry for every day. There are a lot of jewelry designers out there, but many who marry, not many who marry the both the minimal and feminine aesthetic. This is what makes Lace and Pearl's jewelry unique. No matter whether you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans or dressed for a special occasion, my pieces will complement both. She is friends with the owner. And the owner told you about my podcast. Oh my God, I'm honored. Well, also, I hope you're out there. Person who nominated it, thank you. It's such cute stuff. I agree, minimal and feminine is the ideal. And so this thing, things are just often just so much, so chunky, such just statements for me. And I, and I like simplicity. So be sure to check out Lace and Pearl's jewelry dot com next we have cadence candle co which i actually do think i've advertised for before but this is a new submission um i'm obsessed with this company i'm on in the past four weeks i'm now on my third candle <laughs> from them my the one i love is called dapper it's this like kind of like more masculine uh woodsy smell i don't even know if i'm describing that right i like i like more masculine scents and um what's cool about cadence candle co is that every candle is accompanied by a curated playlist to entice a feeling, a vibe, or an experience. And their message is to pr promote individuality and uniqueness. And like the candle quality is unfreaking believable. I wish I had it, you know, even sought to depart from the scent dapper, but I don't know that I ever will be able to because it's my favorite candle of all time. Oh, it's technically Tuscan. It's not woodsy. It's Tuscan le leather and clove leaf. My favorite. Anyway, check out cadencecandleco.com. You'll also get a curated playlist you can go to with a QR code. And then it's such a cool company. I'm going to share more of these on the episode with Merit that I just need to finish. It's a bonus episode because it's a book review, but also we like Zoom audio. It's, it's hard to get good audio unless you're like people have audio equipment and who has audio equipment who's not a podcaster. Um, so I'll get that up as soon as I can. But sometimes it's not the worst thing, even though I've lived through COVID with awful internet. So it's my normal. I, uh, the intro song I played. So I loved, well, I was talking about magic at the beginning. And I, one of my favorite songs, like literally of all time, is <laughs> Black Magic by Little Mix. I just think it's the ultimate bubblegum pop girl group song. And if I could pick, like, to have a podcast intro song, it would be that. Like, specifically when they're singing all the girls in the back knocking at my door or whatever, not because it has anything to do with me, but I just like the sound. Uh, obviously I can't license a little mix song, but this one I licensed off a website that sounds pretty dissimilar just without their voices. So I think I might use this in the absence of having, um, other songs cause I don't want to get in trouble using other people's music for more than 15 seconds. And I also, um, want like a signature sound, you know, cause I feel like when I go to people's live shows and I hear their like token jingle, it like gets you excited and you have such an association with the podcast. So I don't know, but maybe I'll figure that out. Maybe I'll do something new. But anyway, you guys, you're awesome. Thank you for being so wonderful. 
Thank you for listening. If you're new, I hope you'll come back. We have a Finding Freedom, Megan and Harry recap coming up. We have, I'm going to probably record with my sister about your like awful Zoom and virtual learning stories. I need to go through what you guys called your friend groups in high school and you like branded them. I mean, I've had so many funny crowdsourcing things lately. I can't wait to go over. And so we'll just keep recording, keep pressing forward as we move into fall, y'all. As I stare at my sister's sign that says, it's fall, (laughs) y'all. In my book, um, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, it's like a parody of influencers, but through like the lens of nursery rhyme characters to like jokingly teach a kid about being an influencer. Peter Pumpkin Eater is one of the characters and it's on um, his photo at 610 likes because that's like my sister's birthday. And it's like, I don't know, a page that I put Easter eggs in about my sister because my sister loves fall so much. And I think his hashtags are like, it's a, basically a photo of a pumpkin spice latte. And his hashtags are like, it's fall, y'all. Oh, my gourd. You know, I mean, it's just like so stupid. I had a blast making up <laughs> in my perfect world. What are the dumbest things people could say about uh, these illustrations? And, you know, if you want to buy my book, by all means, go ahead. Twinkle, twinkle, social media star. You can find it on Amazon. Lastly, my Gilmore Girls fanfic is on patreon.com slash be there in five. <laughs> the nerdiest sentence I've ever said, where I imagine what it was like being a Gilmore or being in Stars Hollow, which I call Sars Hollow amidst COVID-19 and how they would handle it. It's, you know, that's the stuff I put up behind a paywall. It doesn't really flow in the old iTunes feed, but I have a bunch of other stuff up on there too, like a hundred bonus episodes and whatnot. So check it out. Rate, review, five stars, tag me in your story. And Jackie too, if you like this episode, it would mean the world. And I think I'll let you go. I'm just now realizing that Black Magic maybe samples girls just want to have fun. And I don't love that song. Oh, God, now I'm confused. But anyways, here's here's part of the instrumental anyway of my licensed version. <laughs> As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs> <laughs>